BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, ESPN's college game day has been all over the Pac 12 conference. Showed up for about the first month of the season camping in Boulder, Colorado. Along with the uh, Big Noon Fox show, camping in Boulder, Coach Prime around the campfire. Then we saw the crew show up for the Washington-Oregon game. Then in Salt Lake City for Oregon-Utah. Washington-Utah is getting uh, a lot of love this weekend. And then next weekend, November 18th, as long as Oregon State beats Stanford, and if Washington can beat Utah, the best college football setting in all of America will be in Corvallis, Oregon on November 18th. Think about the tentacles. Think about the storylines. Final Pac-12 game at Reeser Stadium. Really? Final Pac-12 game as we know it. Washington going to Reeser Stadium. Already a sellout. And by the way, every single seat this season for Oregon State home games sold out. Didn't have an available ticket anywhere. Washington, Utah's a sellout this weekend. Oregon, USC's a sellout this weekend. I told you on yesterday's show, the Pac-12 Conference championship game in Vegas on December 1 is going to be a sellout. They just haven't announced it yet. It's already sold out. They just The conference, I don't know what they're waiting for, but uh, I expect maybe next week they'll announce as a sellout or maybe later this week. But all these games are sold out. There's a ton of interest. The TV stations and the networks have uh, basically created their theater and set up their stages on Pac-12 campuses saying this is where the best action is. These are where the stories are. Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix are running 1-2 in the Heisman race right now. The college football playoff rankings are out. There are six Pac-12 teams ranked in the top 25. Somebody remind me again why in the world this is ending. How in the world this Pac-12 conference got itself into this predicament? Yeah, I know the answer. I've been all around it. Presidents and chancellors did a lot of dumb things. Got their eye off the ball, didn't act with any kind of urgency, uh, were aloof, were asleep at the wheel, whatever whatever metaphor you want to use. Pac-12 presidents and chancellors hold about 30 to 40% of the accountability here. They blew it. Uh, I'd also throw this on Larry Scott, former Pac-12 commissioner, who probably is... Uh, giggling to himself somewhere, see, look what happened without me, and George Klyovkov, who took over for him. What a monumental failure of leadership that was. You really think about, like, from a management standpoint, I don't know if you do hiring at your business, if you uh, put together a staff. I've seen it in sports all the time. What happens? There's an overcorrection. The Raiders will fire Josh McDaniels and then hire a correction uh, based upon McDaniels. They go with the anti-McDaniels. Problem is, you know, maybe a swing too far on the pendulum. The Pac-12 conference hired the anti-Larry Scott. And by the way, Larry Scott was a correction from the former commissioner, Tom Hansen, 
Tom Hansen was a lot like George Kriyavkov, to be honest with you. Very collegial, cordial, inclusive, wanted every, like kumbaya, everybody, uh, you know, talking to each other. And, and, and the Pac-12 corrected from Tom Hansen saying, no, he's not cutthroat enough. And they hire Larry Scott, and then Larry Scott is, like, brutal, and he's cutthroat to the point where he's probably the best negotiator the Pac-12 ever had, except he negotiated on his behalf first instead of, like, he put his own oxygen mask on first. Like, he gets on an airplane, and uh, the flight attendants start to go into that thing where they're like, you know, if the cabin pressure drops and oxygen mask may drop, Larry Scott's already got the oxygen mask on when they're doing that. He's got it on, and he just gives a thumbs up, you know? So they corrected from Tom Hansen to Larry Scott, and then they corrected back to George Klyovkov, really nice guy, total collegial, would go to Pullman and Corvallis, spend the night, shake hands, get to know people. Everyone really liked him until it came time to negotiate, and it was absolutely the wrong guy to be in the room with your life at stake because he was just like, everybody got an oxygen mask. Do you have one? Do you, George, are you okay? George, you're turning blue. You know, it, it, at the end, um, you know, we look back and we go, we can say, hey, this has been a great college football season. Look at all these ranked teams. Look at the fact that Oregon and Washington are sitting right there at five and six in the playoff rankings. One of them, uh, you know, conceivably popping into the top four here in the next couple of weeks as Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other still. But we can say all that, and then we can look at the fact that the media companies didn't think any of this was worth $35 million per school, and yet the media companies this weekend are going to build their programming around Pac-12 schools. It just blows my mind. And I, I wrote a column today at johnconzano.com asking whether or not ESPN's College Game Day, and to some extent Fox's big noon show, We'll address the elephant in the stadium. What is the elephant in the stadium? Well, it's the fact that you have all this great stuff going on. You got Michael Penix Jr. You got Bo Nix. You got six teams ranked. You got uh, two in the top six. You got Oregon State sitting at 12. And oh, by the way, none of this was worth any of this to Fox and ESPN. Not, Not enough to bid on it. Not enough to keep it together. And yet they're building their programming on Saturday, and they'll do the carnival barking this Saturday and next Saturday, as they always do. They'll arm wrestle. They'll make their picks. They'll turn to the crowd and pander. And in the end, what they're also forgetting is, like, the greatest story, the most important story that is going on right beneath their noses is the fact that they played a role, that television was complicit in what has happened to the Pac-12 conference. And, hell, it's complicit with what has happened all over college athletics and professional sports too much of the power in the nba the nfl major league baseball college athletics too much of the power has been ceded to the television networks to the point where there's a story out today about the nba and the nfl taking an equity stake in espn the television companies are going to be owned now and at some level, by the leagues themselves, like, will they ever, will, will that, you know, I guess some people would celebrate it and say, well, at least it's out in the open. But will that be a good thing? Would television be willing to say, hey, wait a minute, TV's not good for TV. Like, we need to roll this back a little bit. Maybe too much of this, uh, you know, reliance on the TV dollar 
is not a healthy place to live. And I'm left looking at the absurdity of this weekend and next weekend in particular. Next weekend's going to be a doozy. If game day does come to Corvallis, will game day spend four minutes, five minutes, discussing the role that it played or television played? Not even it. Like, the game day show, it's not their fault. But will they address the the role that ESPN and Fox have played in dismantling college athletics? Will they do it? I I know the answer to it. They won't. It'll be a bunch of carnival barking. It'll be Pat McAfee saying outrageous things and cut off shirts. It'll be Kirk Herbstreit, you know, babysitting Lee Corso. It'll be uh, guest picking, and in the end, uh, you know, I just I just don't think it's a great uh, or healthy place for college athletics to be. But I'd be curious to see. Like, I would just love for ESPN to do like five minutes on it. Like, what the hell went wrong? How can the number 12 team in the country not have a home beyond this season? Like, something went wrong if your 12th best football program in America, as determined by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, doesn't have anywhere to play. Like, I would just hope, like Brian Gumble in Real Sports, if they were on the scene, you know that's a story. You know they're talking to Mike Riley, who's back in town in Corvallis, and, and hanging around drinking coffee and uh, hanging out with his grandkids. And, and they would bring him on the show. And they would get Giathi Murthy, the president at Oregon State, on the show. And they'd get Anna Marie Casse, the Washington president. She'll be in town for the Washington-Oregon State game. Get her on, on the panel and let's have a discussion about what the hell happened, what went wrong, and get a media executive. Get an executive from ESPN. Get, a, get Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, and put him up there and let him speak on behalf of uh, television and say, well, look, all right, here's the role that TV should play in a healthy ecosystem. We all know TV's a necessary part of the game. Like, the money's coming from TV. But you can't have, in the same way your family cannot be so reliant upon your job and your income, just because the money comes from your job, it's not more important than your family. It's just not. You know, I'll tell you in a heartbeat, like, you know, I, I know. I've worked for six different newspapers Radio station. I've had employers my whole life. I'm telling you right now that, like, I am well aware that some of my employers, not going to name names, but you know who, some of my employers would have just worked me to the worked me until I was exhausted and fell over and then stepped over your body. You know, in the end, you have to recognize much in the same way that you and your family rely upon a job or a stream of income or maybe you're self-employed. As much as you rely upon that. It shouldn't be driving your entire family decision. Shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't drive every decision that's made in your family. And unfortunately, the revenue that's coming into college football's house from television is driving every single decision. It's a crying shame. We got a great show for you today. Jonathan Smith will be with us. Oregon State coach. We got Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show. The Oregon coach Mike Riley will be with us Friday. So big guests all week long. Anthony Gold will be with us as well. Uh, On today's show as well, Nick Cody, former University of Oregon offensive lineman and stand-up comedian. Is is it stand-up comedian or is it a stand-up comic? Is there a difference between a comic and a comedian, Stephen? Uh, I think it's – I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I thought it was stand-up comic. Stand-up – so it's stand-up comic, not stand-up comedian? I don't know. That's just what I thought. I I think they're interchangeable. They probably is. They feel interchangeable. We need to ask it, though. I don't know, but one of the – if I was in the stand-up business, 
I would think I would want to be, uh, would you want to be a comedian or a comic? I think I'd want to be a comic. Yeah, I think a comic is sounds better. Sounds more professional. Yeah, because it's not like, so what are you, a comedian? You know, like, because then you got to go, yeah, actually, I am a comedian. So I, I think comic. Well, Nick Cody, he left football, and he's become a stand-up comic. He'll be doing a show in the state of Oregon in conjunction with this game football game coming up on Saturday as Oregon is hosting USC. It's a sellout at Autzen Stadium. It was a sellout last summer. It's still a sellout. Stephen, what do you make of uh, the attendance in the Pac-12? Eight of the 12 schools in the conference have attendance figures that are up from last year and up from 2017, which was a banner year for the conference. More fans in the stadiums, higher ratings, game days around. Pac-12 seems to be, in football at least, you know, it's never been better. Yeah, I think it's just the product on the field. And we knew this going into the season. This was going to be a great season for the Pac-12, and it's lived up to all the hype. Like, coming into the year, we thought, you know, there's numerous teams that could win the Pac-12. Now, that doesn't necessarily panned out as what we thought that way, but all these teams have been really good. And you look in the rankings, there's still a lot of ranked teams, and now there's teams like Arizona who have come out of, you know, out of nowhere to become ranked and become really good. So I, I just think it's the product on the field. There's been investment in the coaching. There's a lot of really good coaches, a lot of good young coaches in the Pac-12 and it seems like it's paying off where the fans are buying in. The coaches are really, you know, uh, you know, selling their programs and selling their their uh, their culture that they're trying to build at all these different schools. I, I think it's just great that the Pac-12, you know, for going out the way they are, they're going out on on top here. I uh, I think that I would like to see ESPN talk about it. I know they won't. Kirk Herbstreit came on this show and he did talk about kind of the role that TV plays, and he said, you know, it always comes back to money. I, I appreciated that he was at least willing to address that element of the conversation because I think there was kind of a fear I had was he was going to go, hey, it's not my thing. I just fly from Buffalo to wherever they tell me to go. But then he kept going. And, you know, he ultimately started talking about, you know, whether or not um, it would be, uh, you know, it would be a, uh, a, a you know, a, a problem to have television that involved in it can you draw a line safely or is it a slippery slope because teams and programs and conferences are always going to chase the money yeah yeah it's tough because we all know that not all publicity is good publicity but we we know that these you know tv programs are going to talk about certain teams no matter what right and so it's that slippery slope where it's like can we really buy into everything that everybody's saying of all these teams or is there is there a certain narrative that's trying to be pushed i just it's tough because these these TV companies they control a lot of college football, and it's just sad because the way that the system is set up right now with the college football playoff, it's kind of like well, what does ESPN say about the college football playoff rankings? You know, they have the TV show. It's a show now, and it's just whatever they say is gospel, and it's what we're supposed to believe when there should be some type of arguments on what's going on. Like, I don't know. I, I just it's it's hard that it's. It's like you said earlier. It's a necessary evil that they have to be involved, but we can't take it super serious. We got to take it with a grain of salt. We got to come up with our own conclusions. Kirk Herbstreit, when I asked him about realignment and television's role, he kind of pivoted into this. I'm trying to not be that guy that's going to dig in and say, you know, this is not fair. What are we doing? I'm, I'm trying very hard to be, again, open-minded towards realignment. Um, I don't have to always agree with it, but I do need to move on. And I do need to, to realize that UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon are going to be in the Big Ten. It's going to be, you know, maybe five years from now it'll be normal, but right now 
think of a lot of us who grew up, you know, in our generation, it's like, what the hell is happening to us, right. you know? And the rest of the conference being fragmented, what's left, you know, with Oregon State and Washington State, it's, as a guy that just loves the sport and loves the, the game on a national level, I, I think it sucks. I think it's awful. But I'm, I am going to try to embrace it and, and move forward with, uh, with our new world that we're all getting ready to, to get used to starting next year. You look, I, uh, I think he speaks for a lot of people. I think Herb Street and a lot of people who feel helpless are just going, hey, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to, you know, I'm just not going to be that guy on my front lawn. And I hope I don't sound that way because for me, it's like I get the reality. I get that this is where it's going. But there's part of me that's going, it's not okay. Like, it, this just isn't okay. And we all shouldn't move on and just go, well, I guess that's it and leave Washington State and Oregon State in the dust. Well, it's not, you know, and that's the thing. Life isn't fair, but at the same time, it's not as if Oregon State has done anything to deserve the, thought, the spot that they're in. Like, they have committed, you know, financially to resources to the NIL. They've, you know, um, they put resources to Jonathan Smith. They brought him in. They brought in a great coaching staff. They brought in great transfers. They have a great team. They have a, they have a Power 5 program or a Power 4 program now uh, going forward, and they deserve to be somewhere. But since they're in Corvallis, Oregon, and the fact that the Pac-12 leadership really failed and the the conference crumbled. They're left without a position. When you look at other teams in these other conferences, they're just lucky that their conferences haven't didn't crumble. And Oregon State is a better program. It's a better fan base than a lot of these schools. You can look in the, a, the ACC or the Big Twelve or any of these. You know, there's a lot of programs around the nation that are not as good as Oregon State. Don't have the fan base that Oregon State does. But since the Pac-12 crumbled, Oregon State's left out for some reason, and they deserve to not be because they are not run. Like a like a mid major program, they are a power four program, and that's the way they've been run the whole time. But here's what here's what's coming. I mean, December fourth, the transfer portal window opens, and I think you know Jake Dickert said this earlier this week. I don't know if I would have said this if I were Dickert, but he's talking about the transfer portal and the fact that they don't have a collective that essentially can glue kids into the into the program and. I, I think it was kind of a strategic misfire by Dickert, but you know I get his frustration and his fear is that he's going to lose half his roster in the portal. You know because I think in today's world you can no longer just say like passion and spirit's going to get you by anymore. I mean it's just completely real that the NIL matters, and the facts are Washington State were way behind, not even competitive in some aspects of the NIL. Right. And, you know, recruiting, you get I mean, these kids tell you what they're getting, you know, so, you know, Oregon State probably has us by 10 X, you know, Arizona has us by 20 X. I mean, USC, Washington, Oregon, who even knows? Right. It's a whole nother planet. Um, that's part of what we need. And it's very, very important. In three weeks, that is going to be open target season on our players. That's what it's going to be. And it's already started. Right. So, no, that's what's coming. We need to provide them with as much resources as we possibly have here to keep this team together, to keep recruiting, to keep going. It's the, it's the future of college football. And to ignore it or to ever think it's going to go away, uh, that's a long time in the horizon, right? So I think it's only going to grow in some capacity. And I'm very supportive of the players getting a piece of the puzzle and, and profiting off their name, image, likeness. I've said that many times up here. Uh, but to think as a university and a program to be where we want to be and we know we should be, it's got to be a huge part of it. It has to be, especially at the forefront of the football program. Is he waving the white flag? 
it's I will say this. It's interesting timing that he did this after what a four or five game losing streak. Right? They started out yeah, four, five in a row. Five in a row. They lost, they won their first four games, they're four and they're ranked, they're one of the talks of college football. Oregon State, Washington State. You know, Washington State just upset Oregon State. They're in the top twenty five. None of this was being spread out. But now they've lost five in a row and now he's coming out and saying this. And it really it, it does seem to me, John, that He's been talking to other schools. Like I would, I don't think he would trash a program like this. And I would say this is trashing the Washington State program and the fan base and saying, I don't like what you guys are doing. It does sound like he's throwing up the white flag and that he's already looking to go to his next spot. And the fact that he can't keep his players, he knows that they're going to be, you know, demoted to a different conference and the mid-major stop right there. And that goes to my point of they're not ran. Washington State's not ran like a Power Five conference. A power five team. Oregon State is. He even mentioned right there. They're, they, you know, Oregon State has them by 10x. He knows that. He talks to these players. It's the same type of players that are being recruited at Oregon State that are at Washington State. So yeah, I think he is waiting the right flight flag, and I think he's looking for his next job. And I don't blame him either because of the way the conference was ran. He kind of got to look for a better spot, and he doesn't want to be in the Mountain West. And I get that. Six weeks ago, he was saying this. Well, I think it's what it means for Washington State as a whole. We're very very well aware of what's going on and we're carrying the flag for this team this university this faculty their alumni and once again i'll say it we belong we belong and uh just excited for cougs everywhere i know how proud you guys are we have your back i love you guys i love this place and it's done so much for me it just it means a lot it really does his tune is done like a 180 and the thing that gets me is like even if there's truth in what he's saying and there is truth in what he's saying you can line the NIL collectives up and, you know, Oregon's at the top of the Pac-12 conference and Washington State's at the bottom. That's the reality. Had SMU come in via expansion, SMU had already studied it. I talked to the Boulevard. That was their collective. They had already studied the entire Pac-12, and they said we would be the number two collective as far as buying power. So Washington State has less buying power than anybody. But why in the world would you announce that? If you are the head coach who's trying to retain players and you're sitting here going December 4th, portal's going to open. Month from now, portal's going to open. Let me just tell my guys, hey, we don't really have the money here. We don't have, like, what is he trying to do? Is he trying to tell future employers that, hey, the reason why we're losing games is I we don't have buying power with our collective? Is he trying to rally Washington State donors? If so, it's the wrong time to do it. I just think it's a really weird time to come out with that message, and I didn't like it. And if I were Jake Dickert's uh, advisor, I would have been like, no, that's not the message after five in a row. Get your house together. Start winning games again. And, you know, where did the we belong, I love this place rally cry go after, a, after you know, four wins? That's all he was saying. Nick Cody's coming up, former University of Oregon offensive lineman. He's now a stand-up comic and he's putting on a show this weekend i'll ask him about usc his memories of suiting up against the trojans does he hate them as much as he hates washington and i know nick cody does not like washington stay tuned i like stand-up comedians stand-up comics i don't know sebastian maniscalco one of my favorites italians we don't play basketball When's the last time you put an NBA game on and said, take a shot, Nunzio? It doesn't hit. <laughs> put in Carmine for the three. No. Times, what do we do? Cement, nice cement driveway. <laughs> Meatball sandwich, give us a church, we'll paint the whole ceiling. I mean. <laughs>
Is it a stand-up comic or a stand-up comedian? Nick Cody, former University of Oregon offensive lineman, joining us. What do you prefer? Hey, John, I've been asked this before, and I have to say, like, I have a good logical reason. I'm going to go with comic. You want to hear it? Yeah, I want to hear it. All right. What has more movies based on them, comics or comedians? Comics right now, right? The, the okay. Nobody went to see the Sebastian Maniscalco movie. Nobody went to go see the Burt Kreischer movie, but every week they've got one of these comic book movies in there, so I'll go with comic. Comic it is. Nick Cody with us made the transition from college football player into stand-up comic. He'll be at the Ranchito Grill, open mic night in Springfield, 630 uh, sign up, 7 o'clock show, and there's another uh, open mic uh, at, in Springfield at 9 o'clock. What day is that? Is that Friday night? Yeah, the, these will both be Friday night, so any comedians, anybody with any talent or interest in coming out and maybe giving it their first try, well, if you don't do so good the first time, hey, you can go up and try again in another spot a couple minutes later. Give me an idea of the adrenaline rush that that is when you get up in an open mic, maybe early on when you started versus now. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I'm sure you know a lot from radio. It's so much about reps and uh, being comfortable using your voice the right way. Those first couple couple times you go up there, you think you have a plan, and then, uh, you know, if they give you three minutes, you probably only have about one. If they give you five minutes, you probably only got about two or three. And those first couple times, you just got to go up there, swallow your pride, know that things are, uh, are, <laughs> are not going to be as good as they probably will be once you get some more reps, so... I know uh, the first couple times I went up, I go and watch those clips. Now uh, it's amazing to see how much I've progressed in just a little over a year. Was this something you always wanted to do, or how did you get the idea? Yeah, I've always thought to myself, like, someday I'll give it a try. You know, I've always enjoyed comedy. Uh, my, my parents really instilled a lot of comic values in me. I used to watch a lot of stand-up with my dad back in the day and listen to comedy albums with him in the car. So it's always been a thing I wanted to do. And then when the pandemic hit, it really just hit me like, man, did I did I just miss my opportunity? Is comedy just going to be dead now? Are we not going to have these public settings where you've got 50 people stuffed into a cramped, ugly club, and then everybody's miserable trying to make them laugh? I don't know if we'll have that again. But So as soon as the pandemic was out, I guess, uh, I was like, dude, that was the time. And so I started uh, first with the comedy class for about six weeks, and then I started just relentlessly hitting the open mic scene about three or four days a week. I love it. And and did you feel like you had uh, you must be getting enough success to keep you going, right? Like I mean, er early on you probably are just trying to get through your set, but now, you know, do you find yourself having moments where you're like, "Hey, you know, I could really do this." Absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of the benefit from uh, you know, being a graduate of the UVO uh, School of Journalism is I've been able to leverage a lot of the things I learned in broadcasting, uh, formatting, being able to uh, produce content, both uh, in, in digital and uh, print media. So I've actually been able to produce a couple of my own comedy shows. Uh, just on the 27th of October, I was able to produce my own solo comedy show. Uh, it'll be the sixth topped out show we've done this year. But I uh, got to entirely produce it on my own. We sold about 65 tickets. I had a real, real good time. And, uh, again, I've just been able to build my community around me, uh, assist people with making posters, doing promotion, things I'm comfortable with, and that's also helped me build up my comedy as well. And now I'm pretty comfortable, you know, if you give me a time and preparation, I could do about 20, 25 minutes on stage. I love that. 
Uh, we're talking to Nick Cody, former University of Oregon offensive lineman. Uh, give me an idea. I know you live up in the Washington area. You don't like the Huskies. Do you have a similar <laughs> feeling about USC? What were your recollections playing against the Trojans? Man, I, it's a it's a different kind of uh, dislike. I, Huskies, we'll, we'll use the term hate. Uh, you know, Beavers, it's like a rivalry. With USC, there's just that, ugh. There's just something about them that I've always not been interested in. Probably, probably stems back to being the one Pac-10 offer I didn't have coming out of high school. But there was just always something about the the arrogance, and not just them, the players. You know, players deserve a certain level of arrogance, but the fan base. I've never understood it. Um, you know, especially in the last decade or so. But you know, the, the thing is, is my recruiting trip, my official visit, was the 2007 USC game. Uh, Dennis Dixon came out. You know, they, they set the decibel record or whatever. And I just remember, like, that was the team that back in the day everybody got up for. And it, when Chip took over, there was a real, real focus on, on making every game that big. So I really think that in terms of my career, when I came in, USC was a big game. But by the time I graduated, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's another game, and it's Oregon versus Oregon every week if you're, if you're really on top of what you're doing. Nick, let me ask you, what has it been like? to be a former Duck amid a lot of Huskies who are enjoying an undefeated season? Yeah, in real life, it's not that bad. I mean, really, uh, I, I hate <laughs> even saying this and giving them the credit. Husky fans aren't as bad as you may get the impression of on the Internet. Now, that's a whole different story for me. I know they, really? they absolutely hate me there, but in person, people are pretty nice. Uh, and I love that automatic boo I get of announcing myself as a Duck at an open mic because the, as long as you're getting a reaction, you can play off that. Do you address it head on? Do you, like, step up there? Because you're a big dude. Like, how tall are you? What do you weigh right now? Uh, right now, 6'5", and too much, too, 200, too much, something, something <laughs> okay, like that. But, so you, yeah, you get, I, I stand out. You, but you get up there. Do you address that head on? Do you get up there, and is your bit part of your act based in the in the fact that you are like twice the size of most of the other comics? Yeah, I, I can do that. Uh, I kind of go up usually uh, with something in mind. So either I'm going to play off that, uh, especially you know at Ranchito this weekend for all my Oregon football fans. I'll be doing a lot of football related jokes, things things that definitely call those things out. But sometimes. You know, something just happened in the news or media, and I'd rather focus on that. But, yeah, I definitely uh, I have a lot of sets where I, I emphasize my big ducky energy. All right, down the stretch here, Oregon obviously trying to get to the playoff. You have been on Chip Kelly teams that played for the highest of stakes. And what was that experience like for you as a player? And what advice would you give maybe to the guys that are going through it now at Oregon? Yeah, I mean, what a ride. Uh, four straight BTS rings, uh, you know, uh, trips to games I would have never expected to play in. Uh, but the whole thing is, is you learn so much. And, you know, you hear, uh, you know, a lot of great college coaches reemphasize it in different ways. And I think Coach Lanning's done a fantastic job of reiterating to his players that it's, it's not the destination, it's the process. And when I look back at the you know, the, the championships, especially that inaugural Pac-12 championship as we, uh, as we wrap this league uh, up, it's, it's really amazing. that I think back to, you know, the celebrations are great, but I really remember the grind a lot more. A lot of those hard days that stuck out the most that you look back and you're like, man, you know, there was times you wanted to quit. There was times things were really hard. Uh, and 
whether it was your personal or, or on-field life, things weren't always easy, but, man, you never gave up, and then you see the results of that and being process-oriented every day. And honestly, it's kind of the same thing in comedy for me now. It's like even if you have a bad day, uh, it's not so much about the result. It's about going back and figure out what happened in the process to create that result and changing that to the next time you go out. Give me something that Chip Kelly taught you that you still carry with you. Oh, man, too much. Uh, <laughs> I think the one thing that got drilled into me is uh, he screamed at me once down in Arizona, if it's a gap exchange, you don't have to go running at the linebacker, just go straight upfield. That's probably the one he taught me most. But uh, just in terms of life, I think, again, like the process orientation, I talked about comes a lot from the win the day motto. I think a lot of it just stems from that and uh, fast, hard finish, all those mottos that uh, he really he really ingrained in us, uh, that they stick with me to this very day. All right, Nick Cody, tell them where you're going to be on Friday night if people are going down to the Oregon-USC game or if people in the Eugene area listening right now on Fox Sports Eugene want to come out and see former Oregon Duck offensive lineman Nick Cody uh, at open mic night, where can they go? Okay, guys, you want to come to Ranchito Grill in Springfield off Mohawk Boulevard. Shout out to my man, the owner, Ruben. He's a fantastic guy. It is a completely free show. It'll be indoors. You guys will want to ask the staff if you're there for the show. They'll show you where to go. But come at 6.30 to sign up. Show up at 7 if you're just there to listen and laugh. And uh, free show, but please encourage you to buy some of the fantastic Mexican food offerings they have at Ranchito Grill and especially some of their fantastic beverages. There you go. He is Nick Cody. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate you. Good luck. Break a leg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Go Ducks. There he goes, Nick Cody. I think it would be one of the most terrifying things ever for you know college football player to be like, okay, everything that made you good, or mo- I don't say everything, a lot of the things that physically you work on as a college football player aren't going to help you on the stage. I do think being on the stage is being on the stage. So there is that element. Confidence is confidence, as Pat Casey has told us. Uh, you know, confidence is comfort. And so I think sometimes athletes who have been on that stage, you know, they understand, you know, you're out there and it's you and you've got to you've got to do it. You've got to carry it. You've got to win the day that that can help you, whether it's on a stage or not. But it, I think it's just a very different skill set. It's very interesting to me to see Nick Cody having success after football uh, in a uh, in an element that is so different than what he did on a football field. Our big splash is coming up. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach in the 5 o'clock hour. Big guests all week long on this show. Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show, Oregon football coach. Jonathan Smith today at 520. Make an appointment for it. And on Friday, we'll get a visit from former Oregon State football coach Mike Riley in the 3 o'clock hour. Riley back in Corvallis. He'll be among those inducted into the Oregon State Hall of Fame Saturday as the Beavers take on Stanford. Uh, Stephen, of those three interviews, and you could only hear one, which do you tune into? I kind of want to hear Mike Riley. I want to hear what Mike Riley has to say about Oregon State and the situation that they're in with the uh, with the Pac-12 and them not being you know yeah. being chosen. I, I kind of think Mike Riley is the answer there. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. I, I, I was trying to think myself, like, if I could only have one guess, Riley would be good. And 
and Riley's really interesting because you know he's back in Corvallis. His football season ended. You know whatever league that is that he's coaching in, whatever they're calling it now, it's it ended for the season. He's back with his grandkids, his wife in Corvallis, and um, you know he's got good good perspective on what happened in the Pac-12. I I also want to just ask him about how it all went down when he decided to leave for Nebraska. You know, he, he'd said once upon a time he regretted leaving to the NFL from Oregon State. Did he make a second mistake in leaving Oregon State again? Would he still be there as the head coach at Oregon State is what I'm getting at. Uh, be very curious to know what he thinks of that. Um, also, uh, Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show, he's got USC this week. I mean, I want to talk to him about USC's play calling change on the defensive side of the ball, the health of Bucky Irving, so people said that in the media session yesterday, Irving was not practicing as the media were let in to see the end of practice. Um, there's some concern about whether or not he's got uh, concussion protocol. Uh, he t- apparently took a hit in the Cal game. I did not see that. I didn't catch that. Um, I was in Boulder, so I was kind of watching the game on TV, not in person. And so be curious to see what's going on there um, and, uh, you know, just what he expects. This is a lot of fun for Oregon right now as they find themselves in the mix. They have no margin for, for error, and they're in the mix. It's uh, It's got to be a lot of fun for Dan Lanning. And then Jonathan Smith today, I mean, it's just obvious. Like, look, this is it. It's a, it's a two-game season for Oregon State to set up a one-game season. What I mean is you get Stanford and you get Washington. If you can win both those games at home, where Oregon State has been damn near unbeatable in the last two and a half seasons. If you can win those games at home, it sets up do or die at Autzen Stadium in the final game of the season. And in that context, Oregon State would be holding its own destiny and in control of its own destiny. You win three straight, you are probably going to Vegas as the two seed in the Pac-12 championship game. You would knock Oregon out of there. Uh, as a two-loss team, and, you know, I think it'll be very interesting to see. Now, you know, I'm not forgetting Utah either playing at Washington this week. If Utah beats Washington, presumably Oregon State would be in the position in a couple weeks to potentially create a three-way tie or to create a situation where, you know, it could end up being Oregon and Oregon State in the Pac-12 championship game. A three-way tie goes to uh, you know the team that would have the record, I guess, the, the best record against um, common opponents. I think Oregon would finish third in that one. So Oregon, I guess, in that scenario would get knocked out. It would be Washington and Oregon State going to Vegas. But a lot up in the air right now. And don't forget Arizona. Arizona's playing great football and uh, and doesn't have to uh, play the opponents that everybody else is playing down the stretch. So everybody forgets about Arizona, but there could be multiple teams tied with two losses, or it could just be Oregon and Washington at the end. What do you think is more likely, Stephen? Are we going to go to like two team? Are we going to go to tiebreakers, or is it just going to be an Oregon Washington equation in your mind? I think it's tiebreakers. Um, I I hope for the conference that it, it's just an Oregon Washington situation. I think that's going to be much more clear, and I think the winner of that game would get into the college football playoff. We also would find out who wins the Heisman Trophy at that point. But I think there's going to be some chaos. I, I think Oregon State has a lot to say about this. I think Arizona has a lot to say about this, John. I, I could see a situation where Oregon, they lose to you know, USC or they lose to Oregon State, 
Arizona runs the table, and then we got a three-way tie, or you know, a three-way tie for Arizona, Oregon State, Oregon. You know, for that number two spot. Like, there's a lot of situations where I think there could be some tiebreakers. I hope it's not. I, I hope it's clean for the Pac-12's sake. But man, John, the way the conference is, it's just too good. There's too many good teams. And you know, you look at Washington at this this grueling stretch that they have. I mean, they're not done. Like they could lose any of these games coming forward. So I, I think there's going to be some losses coming up. And it's interesting because I was taking a look at the multiple team tiebreakers just to kind of see, you know, from Oregon standpoint or Oregon State standpoint, what do you really want? And yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that you know Washington has a win over Arizona earlier this season, and so that if you're Oregon State. You don't want a multiple team tie that includes, um, you know, uh, Arizona and Washington. You don't want that because your, you, you know, your uh, tiebreaker then becomes head to head win percentage against the two teams, and everybody, I guess, everybody in that case would be one and one. So then you'd go to step two. Then it becomes win percentage against common conference opponents. That uh, you know are all teams involved in the tie, and you didn't need to start going down the list. Yeah, Judah and me were looking into this, and I think for that the number two one, the opponents win percentage or whatever that is, the common opponents, it's all the same too. So then it goes down to the next tiebreaker after wow. that. And so like it's uh, it's very very tight if you put those three teams, Oregon, Oregon State, Arizona, as that two seed tie there. But I, I I got a question for you about the Oregon USC game real quick, John. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. All day yesterday, all day today, I was talking to people about it, and you brought it up. Like, is there going to be a huge difference with Alex Grinch out? We've seen this in the NFL. Last week with the Raiders, Antonio Pierce, they got the one-game bump. Last season, the Colts, Jeff Saturday as their head coach, do we all remember? He won his first game. They got a, you know, they got a bump. This happens in the NBA. This happens in all sports. Are, are, am I just not realizing how big of a difference that w- this one-game bump could be for USC on defense? Maybe they show some things that Oregon hasn't seen, or they're not expecting – I, I look at the players in USC, like they're not great, but they still have some talent. They got some speed. Am I just underestimating this? And this could actually be an actual real difference in the game on Saturday where USC defense get this one game bump and they play decent against Oregon. They're in this game. I, if USC weren't so soft, I think you could consider that a, uh, a danger for Oregon. USC is soft. Utah punched them in the mouth and just kept punching and in the end, I talked to some of the media members who cover Utah football after that game, and I said, what happened? And they just went, like, in person, the USC just folded. And it had nothing to do with athleticism. It had to do with toughness. And I don't think the USC players are very tough. And I, so I think if Oregon shows up, especially early in the game, and sets a tone, I think USC will wilt. And And – yeah, a lot of times you'll see teams when a coach is fired, a head coach is fired, you see players play with a certain, uh, you know, a, a, a certain freedom and a certain joy that they didn't have when they were, you know, being sort of ground into dust by the coach that was the head coach. But that's a head coaching situation. I don't think that you can say that USC as a whole is going to play with a lot more passion this week because the D coordinator's gone. And, in fact, the guy that's taking over as the D coordinator is Alex Grinch's buddy. And so I, I just kind of think, like, it could be more of the same, but maybe they line up a little better. Maybe they simplify the game plan. Maybe they don't find themselves out of position as often. But in the end, Utah, Utah just moved USC's players at the line of scrimmage. 
They were soft. USC was soft in that game. USC was soft last week against Washington, gave up too many rushing yards. I don't think USC is going to be anything but soft against Oregon on Saturday. I'm not worried about Oregon winning that game. I, I think, you know, I think maybe they line up better. Maybe they have better gap integrity, but I think Oregon's going to blow them off the field. Yeah, I I don't know. The closer it gets to game time, the more I, I'm get nervous. I'm getting a little nervous for Oregon. <laughs> this, this feels like this could be the Washington situation last season. Washington came into Oregon, into Autzen, a double-digit dog, won outright. I'm not saying USC is going to win outright, but nobody is picking USC. Everybody is doubting them. We know Caleb Williams is really good. He's got talent. That offense can go. If the defense can get any stops, I, I don't think – I'm with you. I think Oregon wins the game, but, man, John, as we get closer to the game, I, I, and we'll probably do our leans later on today. Oh, yeah. I'm going – I think it might go USC. Plus the points, I think it's going to be a lot closer than we think. It just screams at this Washington game from last season. Well, we'll talk about that coming up, and we will uh, visit uh, with Jonathan Smith in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll also do – Fun fact or nah, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour as well. And Punch It Audio is still ahead. We got great sound today as part of Punch It Audio. We, we scour planet Earth looking for all the best clips, and we compile them so that, you know, while you're going about your day, all you have to do is tune in here and catch Punch It Audio right here at 4 o'clock, and we will catch you up on everything that you missed. Everything that you need to know is coming up. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Finally found a point spread on Montana's game at Portland State on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Stephen, what did you think it was going to be, Montana? I said uh, 10 and a half. Montana is a seven-point favorite at Portland State. Little value, the, a little value on the Grizz then, huh? A little bit of value. Or what do they know that we don't know? Seven-point spread. In Barney, I trust. Portland State at home. Did you like how Barnum on yesterday's show came perilously close to burying Merritt Paulson? <laughs> he was toeing the line, wasn't he? He was, and I like the fact that they're like, well, they told me I can't say anything bad about it. You know, like, <laughs> if it wasn't for them, I would be just trashing it right now. And he said they can't can't say anything bad, and then he kind of proceeded to say bad or bad stuff. And then he blames me. You know, I just ask a question. He says, you're leading me into this position. You're leading the witness. Montana, one loss this season at Portland State. According to MaddoxSports.com, they have all the lines on all these uh, FCS teams. They have it the over-under at 58 and a half, and Montana is a seven-point favorite. So keep an eye on that. We're going to give our leans for the Pac-12 games of the weekend uh, coming up, and uh, we will also uh, play uh, a game we like to call, fun fact or nah. But first, we're going to play Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. 
Well, the Portland Trailblazers have been a little better than expected to start the season. Three and four through seven games. They're on a pace to win 35 this year in an 82-game schedule. Chauncey Billups, Blazers coach, talking about it. Uh, they have the Sacramento Kings tonight. Punch it. For us, I have confidence that every night we're going to compete. We're going out there, we're going to lay it on the line. You know, um, and, you know, some nights we're going to go out there and we're going to play against these juggernauts and stuff, and we're going to be in the game, and we're going we're gonna to press them as hard as we can, and some nights we're going to lose those games. You just run out of talent sometimes, you know. You just, it is what it is. You are where you are, but... What we asking them to do, I love it. I love it. They're doing it every time. Look, I think they have to be feeling pretty good about three and four. It's better than I thought that they would be at this point. I wouldn't have been surprised by one and six. Three and four, they'll take it at this point. And I love what he said about sometimes you just run out of talent, but they're going to play hard. I think you can steal games at this part of the season if you do play hard. That said, they're going to run into some teams that have a lot more talent than they do. Joe Burrow, you know, played football at LSU, went to school at Ohio State, transferred to LSU for his junior and senior seasons. Joe Burrow was asked if Ohio State can claim him. Can they claim him? Technically, he was enrolled at The Ohio State University, but I think of Joe Burrow as an LSU guy. Punch it. Does Ohio State claim you as a quarterback in the NFL? Should they consider you? No, you have to ask them. Do you feel like they should? I always say I I went to school at Ohio State and I played football at LSU. That's how I think about it. <laughs> went to school at Ohio State, played football at LSU. Not bad. Can they claim him, Stephen? Is that poor form? I think it's poor form. I mean, he, he barely played Ohio State. He, everyone remembers him at LSU, winning the Heisman Trophy, winning the national championship, being on maybe one of the best teams of all time. That offense, I mean, is insane. If you look at the players, Justin Jefferson, uh, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Clyde edwards Alaire, like th- that team was unbelievable. I don't think of Joe Burrow as an Ohio State Buckeye. I think, I think it's lame if you are claiming him. Yeah, I think if... I'm trying to think with the transfer portal because it's like the Hall of Fame. Like when Clyde Drexler goes into the Hall of Fame and he says, I want to wear a Rockets jersey. A lot of Blazer fans did not like that. But he finished his career in Houston, won a championship in Houston. So I think it's got to be where you finish your career. Well, it's, I, I think it's if you did anything significant or you played for a significant amount of time at a school. Because like Bo Nix... I think Auburn fans could probably claim him if they wanted to, right? They shouldn't, though. They ran him off. They booed him off the field. That's true. They did. They that, The transfer portal is going to throw a big wrench into this, John, of who can claim what. Like Jalen Hurts, is he an Alabama guy or an Oklahoma guy? Both teams claim him. He's an Alabama guy. But he finished with Oklahoma. Robert's, Robert Sala says he pleads the fifth. Why? Well, he was asked why he hasn't decided to bench Zach Wilson. Here's Sala, the Jets coach. Punch it. Things have changed over three years, Robert. You've had different offensive coordinators before uh, the change to Hackett this year, and you've had different weapons around him, and the one constant is Zach, and the one constant is last year he couldn't start over over Mike White. So, I, uh, first of all, this, this shouldn't be litigated. Now, I never understood with a, a 39-year-old quarterback why a guy who couldn't start last year was the first line of defense if he went down. You've got Trevor Simeon. Uh, in your building, why why not give him a try? 
No, I got you. No, it's, uh, again, a fair question. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, he, he, I don't know. You got me. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna plead the fifth on all this one in terms of just. Uh, I've, I kind of explained it, you know, yeah. respectfully, obviously. But mm-hmm. but it's a va- they're valid questions. But and I know and I know from the, from a passionate fan from from fans who are passionate all having the same questions. I respect it greatly. Robert Sala pleading the fifth on why he hasn't benched Zach Wilson. We can all see that Wilson's not the guy with the Jets. It's not a bad team around him, but. Do you think there's something else going on there, or does he just not want to kill the confidence of a younger quarterback? But doesn't that kill the confidence even more by saying, I can't even answer this question? Like, I, To me, that answer screams that he wants to bench him, but there's something else going on, whether it's the offensive coordinator, whether it's the ownership, whether it's the GM, whether it's something. They're telling Robert Sala, you got to stick with Zach Wilson. Like, It screamed to me that answer was, I want to bench the guy. He's not very good. I want to go with Trevor Simeon, but I can't. So I'm not. I can't. I'm not going to answer it. Like I, just, I don't know. That's the way I took it, John. What'd you take it as? I, um, I took it as there's something that Simeon's so bad that there's so, he doesn't want to trash Simeon, and he knows. And he keeps saying it's a fair question. It's a fair question. He knows it's a valid question because he, you know, you saw Salah's face on the sideline uh, on Monday Night Football. He, he looked like he looked miserable. Apparent. Oh, you look like a parent who was watching his kid fail at youth sports. Like it was just, it was just torture. He, you know, he tried not to show his emotions, but his eyes just couldn't lie. Um, it'll be interesting to see how fast Aaron Rodgers gets back and in what percentage of his health the Jets say he's better than what we got, and they try to put him out there. We talked about it yesterday. We thought about Christmas. That answer says, "Hey, Aaron, come back quicker than Christmas. We need you." <laughs> Disney CEO Bob Iger says that ESPN plans on being a direct-to-consumer product in 2025. No later than that. Punch it. We've not said specifically what date we were targeting 2025. Um, I don't. It won't be long. It won't be later than that. Um, and again, we're we're working hard to make sure that we've got the building blocks in place to see to it that when we bring it out direct-to-consumer that it is very successful. And we feel great about that, but we have an opportunity to consider some strategic partnerships that I think will will make the transition transition even more successful. Disney reported earnings today after the bell, and the shares of Disney rose on a huge increase of streaming users. They had improved earnings. So Disney, Disney Plus had 7 million subscribers amid... Uh, you know, showing some strength, lower revenue, but uh, ESPN also carrying Disney. Meanwhile, you got the NBA and the NFL saying they would not be opposed to taking an equity stake in ESPN. Keep an eye on that. Jason Kelsey has been nominated for People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. He spoke about it. Punch it. Are you, are you actually, like, are you actually one of the sexiest men alive? In your opinion. Because People Magazine says you are. Are you? I'm not even the sexiest man in my family, let alone the <laughs> sexiest man alive. I mean, what are we talking about here? But it, it, it's, it, it's, it's fun. I mean, the, the uh, publicity around uh, the family and everything has gone to a completely different level. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was funny to see, for sure. Funny to see. Good for him. Halo effect of the Taylor Swift impact in his life i mean he didn't win so you know 
it is what it is. But I mean, yeah, it's better. Isn't Travis? Shouldn't Travis Kelsey have been nominated over Jason Kelsey, the center? Yeah, I, I think so. Oh, you're right. Yeah, but I think too that I was just thinking the whole family gets the blessing of Taylor Swift's impact. Are you as tired of the Kelsey brothers as I am? It's like everything, Stephen. Like it's charming for a while, and then we go. You've had your fun. It's time for somebody else to have some fun. Like I love Taylor Swift. I think it's cool that she's on TV and stuff. But like I now I see Travis and Jason doing commercials all the time. Like I just see them doing their podcasts. I see them doing all these interviews. It's just like I see the mom all the time. It's like oh god, just stop, stop, please. Adam Silver went on J.J. Reddick's podcast. I'll listen to that. Started talking about what he wants the NBA to be. Think about that. Commissioner of the NBA talking with J.J. Reddick about what he sees the NBA being five years from now, ten years from now. I see my goal as helping the league, I call it for shorthand, to become more NFL-like. And by that I mean... And, and this is changing in, in, in a very positive way. Of course, we've had five different teams win our, our finals in the last five years. But historically, think if you asked some uh, casual fan, are you going to watch the NBA finals? They would say, well, who's going to be in it? And if you asked a casual NFL fan, are you going to watch the Super Bowl? They'd hardly ever say only if the Giants are in it. They'd be, it's a, it's a national holiday. And I think a part of, you know, my job is to take people who are fans of the game back to where we started and by definition create interest in whoever the teams are that are most successful because those are the teams that they should think, I'm a fan of the game. This is the best basketball being played by definition because this team has gone to the conference finals or, or, or the finals. Adam Silver wants you to make an appointment with the finals, not the matchup. I think it's an interesting conversation. I think he has to step back even further. I think there are a lot of small market fans in the NBA, like Portland, Sacramento, that feel like unless they get lucky in the lottery, they can't build a winner. And it, a lot of that is born from free agency and the way that it's set up in the NBA. There's no salary cap that is a hard cap. You know, teams can pay tax, go above the cap. The large market teams are making more revenue. They become more attractive to prospective free agents because they can pay more and they can offer more in peripheral benefits. Um, I I just I look at it all and I go, okay, before we can start talking about everybody wanting to see the NBA Finals, how about when everybody feels like they have a chance to get to the NBA Finals? Well, I mean, he's it is a fact that five different teams have won the last five different Finals, but... It doesn't seem as if, you're right, like, there's about five or six teams every year that can win a championship, and that changes kind of year to year, but it's always the same same people. Do you think Do you think the NBA could ever get to that level where, you know, a team like Portland feels like, you know what, we're a year away from winning the NBA championship, even though we weren't great the season before? I'll, I'll be honest, like, last year when Denver won it, it felt good to me because you could look back five years or so, six years or so, and you could say Denver and Portland were at about the same place. They just, one of the franchises went one direction, took a right turn, the other one took a left turn. And Denver ends up, you know, against the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals and, and has the better team. But, you know, Denver has a Nikola Jokic. And the Golden State Warriors drafted really well and also happened to be in one of the larger markets. The Milwaukee Bucks got Giannis. The Lakers before that. I do think the run of Toronto... Los Angeles Lakers, Milwaukee Bucks, Golden State Warriors, Denver Nuggets, 
suggests that something's changing, but I also think there's only like, you know, right now in the NBA, how many teams do you legitimately, if we're talking who's going to win the NBA Finals, how many teams would be in that conversation right now? I would say six. Three in the West, three in the East. I think I would say Boston, Milwaukee. I put Philadelphia in there. I think the James Harden trade helps them a lot. I would say Denver still in it. Phoenix is in it. Phoenix Clippers. The, I Clippers. Said the Lakers. Yeah, you put the Lake. Yeah. Well, see, I think it's a bigger pool than maybe it is. Maybe Adam Silver's onto it. Maybe he's doing a good job. I don't think it's a good job though because you know Milwaukee's an outlier, and Denver is the better, more hopeful thing to me because it took a lot of building to get to where they are. Milwaukee got Giannis, got him in the draft. That's the secret, you know, and. And unfortunately, it feels like it's a ping-pong ball if you're a small market team. And if you're a big market team, it's having a good GM and having an owner willing to go above the cap. And that's the path to getting to the finals. Bruce Feldman talking about Caleb Williams. Some people have said Caleb Williams at USC should sit out the rest of the season. I think it's terrible. Terrible message. Here's Feldman. Punch it. Look, if he decided and his family decided, you know what, we're just going to get ready for the draft... I would understand it, you know, but at the same time, I think, but everything we hear is when adversity hits, you got to, you got to finish and you got all, all these things that go with, especially the football mentality. Um, I would say this, the most memorable thing I saw in the USC Washington game as wild and entertaining as it was, the most memorable thing I'll take from it was seeing Caleb jump in the stands with his mom and covered his face and you could see his body kind of shaking and I just was watching that, and I'm just thinking, this is not like anything you would ever see in the NFL. You know, on one hand, you look at Caleb, and you look, he looks like he's an NFL guy now. You know, a lot of facial hair, you know, he's not a skinny kid, he's just, you know, strong, developed kid, you know, very well-spoken, very thoughtful. He seems like he's, since for, for like three years, he's carried himself like almost he's ready for the NFL. And I'm not saying he's not emotionally or physically, certainly. But you watch him, and you remember, there's still a kid here. Still a kid there, but a kid who's got a bright future in front of him. Uh, Pac-12 Conference, by the way, announcing just a moment ago that the championship game is a sellout. I don't know where I've heard that before, but uh, <laughs> Pac-12 finally uh, announcing that the championship game is a sellout. That just in. Um, look, I get uh, you know I uh, uh, you know I, I get what. Feldman saying, I, I just hate when people say Caleb Williams should sit out. It's that's a loser mentality. If you can't win a championship, you should sit out. I'm glad the kid wants to compete. Oh, that See, him climb, climbing into the stands, crying with his mom, didn't bother me a bit. I liked it. Did I like seeing it. I like seeing emotion. Did it show that he's not ready for the NFL? And that kind of like, that's what Feldman's saying is that he should stay and play because he's not almost emotionally ready to play in the NFL because you don't see guys in the NFL go and cry after the games in the crowd. You don't see it. It, it is a business. I have, I have, I'm going to tell you, I covered the NFL before I came to the state of Oregon. So I was covering the NFL in what, the 2001 NFL season. And I can remember being in the locker room and looking and interviewing players and realizing that, like, I liked interviewing college kids better. And part of it was that the pros had this glazed-over look in their eyes, and it was a business, and I didn't – I don't know how much, how many of them loved being there. 
And, you know, I was around two really good teams. The Raiders were really good at that time. And, you know, you had Rich Gannon at quarterback for the Raiders. They were at a great offense, played in a Super Bowl. The Niners were pretty good. They were a playoff team. And you still would go locker to locker, and you would find guys that weren't as joyful about being on the field. And I kind of fear that name, image, likeness in the transfer portal is going to have that effect maybe a little bit on college athletics. Maybe it sucks some of the joy out of it. Pac-12 Conference announcing that the championship game is a sellout. That is going to be a uh, big-time ticket. Last Pac-12 game could be Oregon and Washington. Secondary markets got tickets still. But uh, I, I think I said it on yesterday's show, and I tweeted it yesterday, that that was a sellout. I could not get the Pac-12 to confirm it. And, in fact, the response I got from one executive in the Pac-12 offices was, you know, I said, can you confirm that this is a sellout? I don't see an available ticket. It appears to be a sellout. And they said, um, no, we can't. We don't want to undermine our own announcement. And then here they come today. So that's how it works. Show business, not show friends. We're going to play Fun Fact or Nah. Coming up. Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show. Jonathan Smith on today's show. Mike Riley on Friday's show. Softy from KJR in Seattle. You know Softy. Biggest Washington honk in the land. Oh, he must be insufferable right now. Can you imagine what it's like to deal with Softy while Washington is undefeated? Uh, that's got to be really difficult. The guys around KJR, I need to ask him about that and see... Uh, See what's going on. You remember Softy, don't you? Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to play a bunch of Softy cuts because, well, I will play one. Here's Softy talking about Oregon's uniforms. The Oregon Ducks are sitting there at what two and three? Is that right? Over yep. two and three, John. Two and three. Okay, they're two and three, and I'm still looking at flipping ESPN sending out Twitter alerts because of the uniforms that Oregon's going to wear for the game on Saturday. Who gives a damn? They're two and three. They're a non-factor from a national perspective, and ESPN is sending out alerts telling us what the hell uniform combination Oregon's going to wear on Saturday. Why do I care, and why should anybody care about that? And what the hell is this webfoot nonsense? Are you kidding me? How ridiculous is that? You know what? Get a kicker, kick an extra point, and wear the same damn jersey for every home game like every other stake in college football team does. All right, that's softy, so you have the picture. The larger uh, reason I brought him up is that I had tweeted out a photo of Mike Riley and Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith saying, hey, they're going to be on the show this week. Jonathan Smith on Wednesday, Dan Lanning on Thursday, Mike Riley Friday. You know, we get guests. I love having guests on the show. They're big guests. It's important. And Softy replies to the Dan Lanning part of the uh, of the tweet. And uh, what do you think he said, Stephen? Well, he took a shot at Lanning. And he said, can you ask Lanning how Chris Hudson and Terrence Ferguson are doing? I'm concerned. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Do you, you know, we were talking about if Washington fans are scared of Oregon. you think Softy's scared of Oregon a little bit in the back of his head? I think Washington fans are terrified of Oregon making the conference championship game and ruining their season. And I think they know. I think Washington fans know, and I don't, I'm not trying to, I don't have a dog in the fight, okay? But I think Washington fans know that Oregon's the better team. I think Oregon's the better team. I'm neutral. 
Okay, I'm as neutral as it comes. I think Oregon's the better team. I think Oregon's better than Washington. I think Oregon's better than Oregon State. Uh, Washington and Oregon State, I think it depends who the home team is. But I think if Oregon played Washington ten times, I think Oregon would win seven or eight of them. And nine of them if it's at Autzen Stadium or a neutral site. I, I think if, if you played that series five and five in Washington and in Eugene, I think you would win Oregon would win maybe eight of those ten games. And I think it, it would be you know, they go three and two at Husky Stadium. So I think, yeah, I think Washington State uh, Washington fan has gotta be uh, terrified because it's their worst nightmare. They had a great season. They're undefeated. They beat Oregon. They're ranked in front of Oregon. They got game day. They got game day. They got the early kickoff. They're feeling pretty good. They are uh, cruising along. They go to Vegas. They play some slots. They go to a buffet. And then they go watch, and the Huskies get boat raced by Oregon inside Allegiant Stadium. And that's the end of the year. And they know it. They know it's the one team. The one team they don't want to knock them out will knock them out with the one loss. Like, they know one loss, and they're out of the college football playoff. It's going to be uh, – it's poetic. It's, it, and it's coming for them. All right, let's talk about these Pac-12 games that are coming up this weekend. Um, I, by the way, am 54% only this season, 33-28 and 28 against the spread. Uh, I went three and three last week. I went four and two straight up, and um, I'm not feeling great about that. I need to get over 500. I keep I keep posting three and three records. This is my week, Stephen, and we're going to start with Arizona at Colorado, 11 a.m. Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Arizona favored by ten and a half. Love the way Arizona's playing. The trend is your friend. I don't think Colorado's got an answer. And I think Arizona's going to give is just a bad, bad matchup for, for Coach Prime's team. So I'm leaning Arizona covering in that game. I agree. I, I love this Arizona team. You know, beating Oregon State, it, was, it wasn't shocking, but the way they did it, I thought that they looked like the better team. And then they went out and they dominated UCLA last week. I think Arizona's legit. I think they're really good, and I think they have a real chance of running the table and having two losses at the end of the season, being 9-3, and three, two losses in the Pac-12. What a season that would be. So, yeah, I'm going to take Arizona. I'm going to lay the points. Utah's at Washington, 12.30 on Saturday, Fox. Washington's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I think the Washington is the better team. I think they've got a better offense, and I think they're playing at home. It's a lot for Utah to overcome. Now, I saw what Oregon did to Utah two weeks ago, and i got to say, Utah might be the toughest team in the conference. The way that they come back after that loss and just, you know, dominate. And so I... I am leaning Utah and nine and a half in this game. I think Washington's going to win it, but I think it might be closer than than comfortable for the Huskies. You? I agree with you actually because the way Washington's defense has played, it hasn't been great. And we've seen Utah. You know, they put up over fifty plus against Arizona State. They scored what thirty four against USC. Like I don't think they're going to score a lot, but I think they can score enough in this game. And then defensively, uh, they'll cause a little bit of problems. I think against Washington. I think Washington wins, and I don't necessarily think it's that close. But I could see Utah getting a backdoor cover, something yes. like that. Uh, I'm going to take Utah plus points of Washington to win pretty easily. I, I, the thing that I'm looking at too is I'm kind of looking at it going. I'd feel better if Utah were getting ten and a half instead of nine and a half. Yeah, definitely. But I told a Utah fan today, Matt Zafino, KGW's chief meteorologist, he asked me, he said, you know, what do you think about this game? And I said, I, I give Utah a thirty-eight percent chance of winning it at at Washington. Thirty-eight percent. Do you think that's generous or you think that's about right? I think it's a little generous. I think it's probably a little less than that. I, I think Washington 
is just the better team over Utah in this situation. But is so? Do you think there's there's a legitimate chance you think Washington could you know blow this whole thing? We're, yeah. We've been talking about Corvallis yeah, yeah. having game day. Yeah. I mean, they can. I, th- I think I think they're that every team in the Pac-12 could lose. You know, within reason. I mean, if you're playing. Utah's a top six, top seven team in the conference. I mean, who pictures Stanford beating Washington State yeah. last week? I mean, yeah, you're right. Anybody could be anybody. I think I think they're a top six, and and they don't have the offense. Bryson Barnes cannot outscore Michael Penix Jr. They so it can't be that kind of game. But I'm not impressed with Washington's defense, and I love how resilient Utah is, and I think they'll find a way to score some points in that game. So I think, you know, I think it'll be a little. Less comfortable than than you than Washington fans like, but I think Washington stays undefeated. That's how I would pick it. Washington State is at Cal, one o'clock ESPN Saturday. Cal is a one and a half point favorite at home. Home favorites don't lose in the Pac-12. I'm going with the Bears to win and cover. I mean, who wants to salvage their season, right? I mean, Washington State loses five in a row. I think Cal. I think Cal is still fighting it out. Uh, you know, three and six. I think they get this win as well. I get, there's no way I can pick Washington State at this point. With what Jake Dickard said, losing five in a row, that offense looks like a shell of itself from early on this year. Yeah, I'll take Cal. Uh, lay the points. Stanford's at Oregon State, 2:30 Saturday. Pac-12 Network. Oregon State is favored by 20 and a half. It's a lot of points for the Beavers, but they're at home against Stanford. I am not sure yet what to do with this game gun to my head i would take oregon state to cover because they're at home but stanford has been dicey for some teams and uh, oregon state's not perfect on defense i don't like how they looked in the fourth quarter against colorado i'd feel a lot better about 20 and a half if trent bray's defense had kept colorado from getting to the end zone multiple times in the fourth quarter i think I'm, i like stanford in this one i love what troy taylor's doing uh you know the offense has been a lot better the defense has been a lot better the last couple weeks I don't think this game's close. I think Oregon State wins pretty easily, but I also think Oregon State's pretty vanilla in this game. It's one of those games you get through it, you get it, you get in, you get out, you get the dub, and then you take on those last two games of Washington, Oregon. I don't think they want to show a lot, so I think Stanford uh, plus twenty and a half is the, is the right side. So I'll take Stanford. I, uh, I I may lean your way in twenty four hours. Arizona State's at UCLA, six p.m. Saturday, Pac twelve Network. UCLA is an eighteen and a half point favorite. UCLA at home. UCLA's got the better defense. I do not like how ASU looked a week ago. I mean, there's a real gap between the haves and the have-nots in the Pac-12, and UCLA's on one side of that and ASU's on the other side. I'd probably lean UCLA to cover in that one. It's tough because, you know, Ethan Garber's now maybe hurt for UCLA. Dante Moore maybe hurt. You might be uh, Sheen, the third-string guy, but... Yeah. I can't take Arizona State, I don't think, in this situation. Don't trust them. I, I don't trust them. I don't trust UCLA. That's, that's too many points. I'm taking Arizona State plus the points. I, I think Dillingham's a great coach. I don't think this is going to be a very high-scoring game. I think UCLA scores maybe 24, 28 points, and I think you know Arizona State can get to you know 14 points. So I'll take Arizona State plus the points. All right, finally, USC at Oregon. 7.30 Saturday on Fox. Oregon's favored by 15 and a half. The Ducks have the better uniforms. They have the home stadium. I think they have the better coaching staff. They have the better defense. I think they got the better run game. Uh, I think Caleb Williams is better as a pro prospect than Bo Nix, but Bo Nix won't make a mistake. I like Oregon to cover the 15-and-a-half. I think the Ducks at home, they win this one and they send a message. I think USC gets the cover. I, I am gonna be. I might be the only guy on the USC island this week. I might be the moron, that moron island here. But I think USC can cover this game. I think it's gonna be closer than what 
we all think it's going to be. It reminds me a lot of last season when Oregon played Washington. Washington double-digit dog coming into Autzen. Nobody gave Washington a chance. They went in and won. I think the defensive coordinator switch could give USC that one-game boost. And, you know, Barnum talked about it a little bit. Maybe they blitz more. Maybe there's a little more, uh, you know, uh, thinking about what they have to do on defense, you know, alignment-wise, things like that. But I think they get the one-game bump, and I think they keep it somewhat close because that offense at USC is going to score some points. It's a lot of points to give the USC. So I'm going to take USC plus points. I think Oregon wins. Uh, but I think it's going to be you know, a one-score game, maybe a seven-point win for Oregon. All right. It just comes down to trust for me, though. Like, let's go back through the games really quick. And, you know, Arizona at Colorado. I go with – like, I trust Arizona right now. I like the way they're playing. It's why I like them to cover the 10-and-a-half. Utah's at Washington. You know, I trust Utah. I trust that they will show up to play. They, they, they won't be a no-show at Washington. They'll – like Kyle Whittingham's team will show up to play. And, in fact – I don't think they were a no-show against Oregon. I just think Oregon's that much better than them and was a bad matchup for Utah. Washington State at Cal. That's a hard one because I don't trust either of those teams, but I'll take, you know, I take the home team. I trust the trend. Stanford at Oregon State. I trust Research Stadium and Oregon State. That's why I like Oregon State to cover, but I don't feel great about that one. You know, I may flip on you on that one because you're right. I think Stanford could get some points late in that game. Arizona State at UCLA, uh, don't trust Arizona State, so I'll go with UCLA. And then USC at Oregon, come on. Like, Oregon's at home. Steven, there have been several moments in Dan Lanning's tenure where he's had a moment of, like, I got to prove or we got to prove, and they show up in those games. I think they're going to show up in this game. I think it'll be a, a similar outcome to the Utah game where I think it'll be a, a dominant performance by Oregon. Yes, yeah, like I said earlier, I hope I hope for the Pac-12 sake that yes, Oregon comes in and dominates. I just think there's going to be a little bit of chaos and I think it starts this week. I, you know, USC is a very talented team and I do think Caleb Williams, you know, he, he showed that he cared. I, I can't imagine he's not going to care about this game. It's going to be a really big atmosphere, really big yep. environment for him. I still think Lincoln Riley is a great coach. As an offensive guy, he can still put some points on the on this board, and that's what scares me. You know, as a guy who wants to see Oregon get get to the Pac-12 title game with one loss, is this just the defense that or USC defense has been so bad? It can't get worse with a new defensive coordinator. It can only get better, and so I worry about that one game bump, John. And, and then you look at Oregon's schedule, John. They have one top twenty-five win. I mean, that's why Bartu has Oregon at like number eight in the college football playoff rankings, even though they're number five by the actual rankings. He has them lower because they haven't beaten anybody good except for Utah. They have one win. The other game was at Washington. They lost. So I don't know. I think it is a little test for Oregon, and I think they're going to pass. They're going to get the win. I just think it's going to be a little bit closer. Coming up, fun fact or nah. Pac-12's all mad now. They're saying that I stole their thunder by tweeting out yesterday that the game would be announced as a sellout. Not really mad. They're just, I think they're annoyed. Well, get to it. Announce it. Why am I announcing it for you a day earlier? I The only reason I knew it was a sellout is I went and looked at the damn website and I said, what are tickets selling for? Oh, wait a minute. There are no tickets available. And then I went, reached out to the Pac-12, a couple people, and I said, is the game a sellout? And they said, well, we don't want to give you that answer, and you're going to steal our thunder. Well, I waited about an hour, and then I stole their thunder. But uh, they announced today that the game is, in fact, a sellout. Anna, uh, why, why were they afraid to announce it? I don't know, but it's not the first time that you've stolen their thunder. <laughs> 
Uh, you did that once on scheduling, I think. Yeah, their schedule was due out, and I ha- I got a copy of the schedule, and I put it out. <laughs> and hey. they were not happy with that. You know? But, you know, it's my job. It is your That's job. my job. Yeah. My job is to serve the listeners of this show. You're not here to be. <laughs> and the readers who read me at johnconzano.com. And yeah. to some extent, the people who follow me on social media. And, the you know, my job is not to make the Pac-12 look good or make them happy. Yeah, I think you've done an ample job of that. Uh, you're not here to just be their PR. Arm. All right. On that note, Greg from the Pac-12 Research Department was informed last week that he had a bad week. Let's see how he responded this week with his fun fact or nah. Should I do, like, number one? Oh, we don't have a benchmark for I this I don't go yet? to all the way 12. Hold on. <laughs> we have all kinds of fancy audio for the 5 at 5 that yeah. neither hey, Stephen hey. nor I particularly enjoy, but we don't have a benchmark for fun fact or not. I'll have Brian Griggs get on that. We Griggs. need voices of, like, Arizona. Fun fact or not. Here's Arizona. Here's the fun fact for Arizona. Tell me if it's a fa- fun fact or not. Arizona is one of only three teams in major college football who have three wins over AP-ranked opponents this season. That's pretty fun. Three top 25 wins. I'll go with fun. Yeah, that's fun. Um, I think they've also played like five straight opponents that are ranked also. That's another fun fact I'll give for you. Do you know the other two teams that have three wins over ranked opponents? They're both in the top ten of the uh, college football playoff rankings. Probably Ohio State. No. Mm, I don't know then. Alabama and Texas. Arizona State. So we determined that's a fun fact? Yeah. Okay, he's one for one. Unanimous. Arizona State has held five of its nine opponents under 100 rushing yards this season. Fun fact or nah? I'm going to go nah on that one. It didn't do anything for me. I'll go nah. It's like they've held a little more than half of their nine opponents. So they're kind of okay at it? Doesn't say anything to me. Do better, Greg. I kind of was waiting to see what you guys said on that one because it could, it like, for all I know, it could be one of those like marvelous sportsing things no. that is really fun. It's really no. sportsy. It's really good. Yeah, it's yeah. it's basically They're like sportsing well. If I was barbecuing, I barbecued nine times. You liked it five times. Uh-huh. Was that fun for you? No. 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 No, Greg. No, not fun. Cal. Let's move on to Cal. Jaden Ott has 1,744 career rushing yards. That's the most ever by a Cal running back through his first 20 games. Mm. Fun fact or not? What do you go, Hannah? You can go first. Uh, that's the thing is I, I, I'm waiting again because right, I, don't, I'm not, I don't think it's I don't, fun. I think it is fun. There's been, you do think it's fun. I do, yeah. I, th- I think the uh, there's been a lot of good running backs at Cal, so it is a little... It's more surprising than fun, but I'll categorize it surprising fun. So fun. Here's my thing. I had to do some quick math on this. It means he's averaging 87 yards a game. That ain't that fun. It's good. It's not outstanding. He's averaging 87 yards a game rushing. Mm-hmm. By, the fact that by the mere fact that you had to do some math, I would say that that's not fun. I think Greg left that one short. I think that's one of those stats that sounds better than it really is. Well, it sounded great to me, so I'll, go, I'll, yeah. I'll take the L on that one. Let's go to Colorado. Shador Sanders. Shador Sanders needs four passing touchdowns to tie Seppo Lufau for uh, the most touchdown passes in a single season in Colorado history. 
Lufau had 28. Sanders has 24. Fun fact or not? I'd say that's pretty fun. I, I don't know. I, not that, not fun. I don't think that's very fun. I had Sefo Lufau on the show, so I had Shudder Sanders on the show. So does I, that make it fun? Uh, this means that Shudder Sanders is four touchdown passes away from tying Sefo Lufau. Uh, for touchdown, I I don't. I it think been, it's. It would have been more fun if it was five touchdowns from being the all-time leader, not four from tying. Yeah. Okay. Let's reframe it. Shadur Sanders <laughs> needs five passing touchdowns to become the all-time single-season touchdown passer in Colorado history. Now you're gonna say like it's that. Fun. Now that that's great. Yeah. Hey, that's fun. That hey, one sounds way on. more fun. Yeah. That's a good sure. time. You know, he needs five, and you know what? I don't know if he's gonna get it against Arizona. They're pretty good on defense. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's fun because, you know, he came in, brand new quarterback, and he's accomplished that much in this season. Yeah. He's yeah. only got three more games, probably not going to get a bowl game. You so. feel bad for Shooter Sanders, don't you, when you watch games? You, I, I, honestly, yeah, this I can weekend, tell. I did. Because that kid is getting just rocked. He is getting no protection. Yes, you're saying that he holds on to the ball too long, and that that's you know partially his fault. But like, it's kind of the whole dynamic of what's happening there. Like, yeah. you know, his dad's watching on the sideline as his kids just getting beat up, and then he keeps trying. He keeps coming back for more. He keeps trying to do his best. So I'll tell you something. I saw that they didn't show on TV. I don't think. What's that? He got knocked down once by an Oregon State player, and you could tell he was hurt. Yeah. And he hobbled to the sideline. And he tried to go to the sideline away from his dad, but his dad circumvented all the players and went behind all the players and found Shador. Yeah. And they had a moment on the sideline where dad was like helmet to face. Yes. And I I don't know what was said, but I went like, this moment is not about anything more than a father and a son. Yeah. I I actually did see that. Did you see that on TV? Yes. And I pointed it out to our girls. I said, isn't that an interesting dynamic? Like, I wondered overall for the success of Colorado if that's a good thing or a bad thing I, I think, don't know I don't know either but he I think he I think he eventually get I don't know cuz you know he's got he's got Arizona and he's got Utah left this season and so let me just look at this if if you are Shadur Sanders you got Arizona Washington State and Utah he'll get 5 in that span mm-hmm. he'll get 5 he'll get a lot of them against Washington State all right Oregon is one of five teams that have a top 15 scoring defense and a top 15 scoring offense. Fun fact or not? Yeah, I'll go fun. Uh, Because the question going into the year was, is the defense actually going to improve from last season? And it obviously has. uh, And the numbers back that up. So, yeah, top 15, that's pretty pretty stinking good. So, yeah, I'll go. They have the number one scoring offense. Yeah, I'll go fun that the defense is good. They got 81 on Portland State, though. Uh, I'll (laughs) say it's fun as well. Michigan... Penn State, SMU, and Notre Dame are the other teams. Okay. Oregon State, here, fun fact or not, Oregon State has earned its highest college football playoff ranking in program history. They're number 12 in the polls. Fun fact I mean, or like, not? It's fun, but it's obvious. Like, we, we kind of knew that. It's real lazy. It's a real lazy one there. <laughs> you looked at the poll too, huh, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> you saw he saw I your mean, tweets, John. That's what he yeah. said. In Greg's defense, I mean, what could he have said about Oregon State that would have been more significant this week? Well, right? they're inducting Bob DeCarolis into the Oregon State Hall of Fame on Friday. How yeah, about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun fact. That's all right. I like that. Okay, Former AD. Fun. 
Stanford, fun fact or not, 96% of Stanford's rushing yards against Washington State last week came from the quarterback position. Oh, fun. Fun fact or not? <laughs> I like how Anna was just all over that one. Yeah, that jumped it. right on it. I don't know. I, that's not that fun to me. I, I go nah. It's inter- I think it's interesting because it just tells me Stanford cannot run the ball. Yeah. So what are they going to do against Oregon State? They can't. They're not going to run at all. <laughs> or I mean, I guess. Or it just says that you know maybe Washington State has a great run defense. Could be. Uh huh. UCLA. Fun fact or no? Bruins defense allowing only sixteen point three points per game this season. It would be their best scoring defense since nineteen ninety one if it finishes this way. Yeah, I'm gonna go fun fact. That's that's the defense is good. That UCLA Chip defense. Kelly's got a defense. It's the <laughs> offense. It's the offense that is lacking for UCLA. What's up with that, Chip? It's crazy. Hmm. I'll say fun fact as well. Uh, USC. USC has seventy one plays this season that that went twenty yards from scrimmage or more. It's first in the Pac-12 and it's second in all of college football. So. They have twenty. They have seventy-one plays that went for twenty yards or better. Okay. Big plays, like seventy-one times, they gained more than twenty yards on a play. That's a nah. That's a nah yeah, for me. No. Too yeah. much. I have a headache. She's holding her forehead. I know my temples hurt. <laughs> it's it's those are explosion plays. Okay. Seventy-one times they've ga- they've mean, gained twenty yards or more. But don't we Great know that? Yeah. Branding right. for those plays. You know who's number one in all of college football? Maybe that's what the tush push should be called. <laughs> Explosive plays. Explosion play. <laughs> Anna's this big on this big push to like rebrand the tush push. Well, I she agree. Thinks, the tush push. A, it just it yeah. does. That's I'm, I'm leading the campaign. You like the the brotherly show. I don't shove. even like the brotherly show. No? I think that's hokey, <laughs> you know, and it's it's like it's it's local to Philadelphia. All right. Utah in their last game they became the first Pac-12 team since 2000 to gain 500 yards and allow less than 100 yards in a conference game. Yeah, that's fun. That is a fun fact. Finally, Washington. Washington needs 11 receiving yards to become the first Husky team with collective 1,000-yard receivers since this is a bad fact. He didn't even put the receiver's name in it. I'm gonna go with, nah, Somebody on Washington's roster, Adunze, <laughs> needs 11 yards to get consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. No, my uh, my brain hurts on that one. Yeah. <laughs> the fact was just poorly written. written Such a reach. Uh, Such a reach, Greg. Greg, Greg like Newman. <laughs> All right, coming up, the 5 at 5. Let's hope it's better. We're all queued up and we're ready. Jonathan Smith will join us at 5.20. I want you here for it. You got the BFT statewide. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Oregon State football coach Jonathan Smith coming up at 5.20. Tomorrow on the program, Dan Lanning in the 4 o'clock hour. He'll be with us to talk about USC and Oregon. On Friday, Mike Riley, former Beavers coach, he'll be with us. We had a lot to talk about with Mike Riley on Friday's show. Anna's here. She's locked in. She's ready. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. 
fired up? Yeah. <laughs> Did that sound authentic? I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to find <laughs> out if you bring the heat. Let's do it. It's the five at five. The five at five. Anna's ready. She's got the stories. Number one. <laughs> We're still doing that, huh? Yep. A new layer to the Michigan football sign-stealing story. Uh, the Big Ten received documents from Michigan that the university claimed is evidence that Ohio State, Rutgers, and Purdue communicated about the Wolverine signals in 2022. Oh, this is according to a report from ESPN. Unnamed sources allegedly show that Purdue got Michigan offensive signals from Ohio State and defensive signals from Rutgers as the Boilermakers prepared to play Coach Jim Harbaugh's team in the 2022 Big Ten Championship game. Can somebody tell me, is this just normal? Like, are we making a big to-do about nothing because apparently everyone's doing it, or is this a big deal? I think uh, breaking the rules is breaking the rules. You don't get to say if you get pulled over by uh, Stady, you don't get to say, hey, everybody around me was speeding too. That's not a justification for it. Like it, There's a sportsmanship clause that the Big Ten Conference has that this violates. Okay, So there's a sportsmanship clause. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, of course other people are doing it. I just find it interesting to see that like some of the coaches who really don't like Michigan are all pointing a finger going, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You know, glass houses, rocks. Come on now. Um, I'm disappointed with it. I think it should be addressed. I'm glad they're outing him. I don't want to see Michigan get the death penalty or something like that, though, for this. <laughs> Number two. Um, okay. College basketball game uh, is delayed because bats invade the court and freak out the players. This happened uh, last night between Nevada and Sacramento State. Late in the second half, several bats descended upon the court, forcing a suspension of play. The bats flew right near the playing surface, too close for comfort for players and coaches. Sac State player visibly recoiled when one of the bats flew by him as he prepared to inbound the ball, and that's when play was halted. It was tough to tell, because, you know, it's hard to count bats, but uh, it looked like there were at least five or six that were circling the court. I love the, the comments from, I think, the Nevada coach who said, you know, hey, man, we deserve better than this, you know. We are a big-time basketball program. We shouldn't be dealing with bats. <laughs> this is quite a scene. I mean, you've got arena staffers bringing out a large net, trying to ensnare the bats, members of the Nevada coach staff brandishing clipboards and towels in self-defense. They got a bat problem. This is the time of year, by the way. This was in Reno when Brazilian bats pass through the Reno area on their way south for the winter. <laughs> John, would you be out there trying to catch the bats or fight them? You know, uh, they're just such a pain in the neck. I just wouldn't. I would I, tell you exactly what he would do, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, please. He would do exactly what he does when a yellow jacket circles one of our daughters. He has everyone stand still, and he comes over with Nobody a move. napkin. He says, nobody move. 
and he goes on this yellow jacket hunt, and he's usually successful. I'm about 100%. So I have no doubt that if this happened and he were in the arena, he'd go out there like some kind of superhero and try to smash a bat. I just, I don't, because I grew up a little rural, I don't, the, this kind of stuff doesn't spook me. But they are a pain in the neck, especially those vampire bats. Number three. Oh, goodness. Um, well, the Eagles, Jason Kelsey, not the one that's dating Taylor Swift. Yeah. He will be featured in People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive edition. He, I didn't, like... win, he didn't win it, though. He, he just was a finalist. Well, that's okay. I mean, you Do know. Do you think he's sexy? That Is guy? it okay? <laughs> Is it one of those things where it's an honor just to be nominated? Here he is talking about it. Are you... Are you actually, like, are you actually one of the sexiest men alive, in your opinion? Because People Magazine says you are. Are you? I'm not even the sexiest man in my family, let alone (laughs) sexiest man alive. I mean, what are we talking about here? There he goes. Well, he's not wrong. But, you know, everybody has a type. (laughs) (laughs) Diplomatic, huh? I love that. Sounds basically like he has a good personality. He's someone's Prince Charming. Number four. Oh, I guess you're done talking about that. Yeah, number four. Um, Al Michaels firing back at critics who've been upset about his Thursday night football calls. We've been hearing about this for a while. Uh, They just think that uh, he's really kind of in the, oh, I don't know, moonlight, like the golden years, and he's on his way out. He's male. Criticizing Is he mailing it in? I don't know. But he's saying that he doesn't think he's a lot different than he's been through the years. Um, And if people want to say that, you know, Al doesn't sound as excited, he says he's doing the same game that he's always done. Do you guys agree? I think he needs to just mix in a little, do you believe in miracles one night, even if it's just like a really boring game, and (laughs) just just to show people that he's still engaged. (laughs) You know, the Jets are playing the Bills. And, uh, you know, Zach Wilson gets a first down. Do you believe in miracles? (laughs) Like, initially we thought it was charming because it's just Al Michaels and he doesn't have to try that hard. But now it's like, is he just not enthusiastic? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I think some of it is it's hard because so much of what we see in broadcasting is over the top and... Al Michaels was never, like, like Bob Costas and Al Michaels were not over-the-top broadcasters. But that's why people appreciated them. They, they were just steady. Yeah. Trusted. They didn't make mistakes. And, you know, so I think if you're judging him by the energy of, you know, I do think Herbstreet and Michaels struggle. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of chemistry with those two. Yeah. I can tell that they don't, they... Herb Street flies in, they call the game, Herb Street flies out. Right. These guys are not hanging around. Sure. I think some of the other broadcast crews, I can remember seeing some of the Sunday crews, they work together all the time, that, and they travel together. Yeah. And they're in the hotel together, and they spend some time together, and you develop some rapport. I don't feel that there's rapport with Herb Street and Michaels. Maybe that's affecting it or impacting it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Also, he's on a really cool platform on Amazon where they're, like, you know, there's some new bells and whistles, but he's, you know, he's an 85-year-old guy. Is he really 85? Well, no, I don't know if he's 85. I was I just saying. I was just saying. He? He's an older guy. 
<laughs> You're aging oh, wait. a little. Oh, wait. He's only 60. Hold on no. now. <laughs> no. Al um, Michaels confirmed 78. Someone tell me. 78. Okay. okay. He's up there. Yeah, he's up there. Okay. But 78 <laughs> is not 85. What are you saying? I got 85-year-old friends. Yeah. And there's nothing bad about all him. All I'm saying is there's a seven-year difference. Okay, so he's on Amazon Prime yeah. where everything's about arrows and overnight delivery uh-huh. and then the QR code's on your screen. You want to wear what Andy Reid's wearing? Just yeah. scan the QR code. And you have a 78-year-old guy there who probably doesn't know what a QR code is. That's not fair. It is fair. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> I know lots of 78-year-olds who know what a QR Let's code is. Let's test that. Next time we see somebody who's 78 plus, you know what this is? They'll be like, um, it's one of those psychological tests. I see a butterfly. Number five. Rorschach. Okay. Um, Okay, I should have done this one after the bat one because it's kind of in that sort of weird news category. If it seems like baseball news is developing a little slowly right now, it's because the executives... (laughs) Bowels are moving too quickly. More than 30 of the 300 or so officials in attendance at their big meeting uh, have come down with an undetermined stomach ailment. This is at Major League Baseball's annual off-season kickoff event. And the GM meetings have become a GI disaster. Oh, boy. What in the world happened? This happened uh, apparently somewhere in Scottsdale, Arizona. They were all staying and eating at the Omni Montalusha Resort. I'm sure that resort's real happy to have its name out there <laughs> right now. It's like a cruise liner here. But they've been getting assistance from, like, the Diamondbacks team doctors. Nearly every team has been hit. Wow. What happened well, there? Be thankful it didn't happen to a flock of bats. <sighs> Think about how much worse that would be. Yeah. Upside down. Come on. Yeah. That's the five at five. Is it just me or was it not a great sports news day if I'm scraping you know, it's the funny. bottom of the Steven, barrel there? I always ask Stephen right before the show. Yeah. You know, I, I do what we used to do in the news business. All the newspapers that I worked at, you know, right before you're putting the paper to bed, you check to make sure. Back in the day, they would say, you know, did anybody check to see if Bob Hope died? Like, somebody would yell that across the newsroom mm-hmm. at, like, 11.08 p.m. Yeah. It was 11.10 it deadline. It was Bob Hope? That was the litmus Back test? Back in those days okay. when I first started, he was alive. Okay. So, um, so Thanks. it was, uh, it was did, you know, check on Bob Hope. And then in the sports department, it came, it, it got to, like, you want to just check right before the paper goes yeah, to bed. Right. Who is, like, the, the thing you would least want to miss? Yeah. Like, check to make sure Michael Jordan's alive yeah. became the thing. Right. Like, and so I'll, I always ask Stephen, like, right before the show, I'll be like, did Michael Jordan die today? Or I'll say, what's the biggest news story today? And today he said, go ahead, Stephen. Not much, uh, not in a lot of sports news today. Oh. So the answer is yes. Yeah, great. I'm not <laughs> off on that. Yeah, but Don't I said. do you think it's time for you to transition at, well, I guess Michael Jordan's still if Michael, relevant. Would it be a bigger story than if the day Michael Jordan does pass when hopefully he was 90 years old or, yes. you know, 78 or whatever? Right. So We're not hoping it, for his early demise. No, I'm not rooting for it. I'm just saying what we want, what I don't want to do is go on air yeah. at 3 o'clock having yeah. prepped the show and I miss like a breaking news <laughs> alert that Michael Jordan 
passed away. What's right? Stephen, what's in the top five of the uh, biggest news stories that John should not miss in his opening monologue? Like, okay, Michael Jordan dying, that's number one. Yeah, I think like what LeBron, else is up there? LeBron dying would be a huge or, one. Or, or announcing his retirement. Yeah, that too. Well, for, real. That, for, for real. For okay. real. Okay. Tom Brady coming back out of retirement. Ugh. Okay. Taylor Swift's pregnant. Well, it, it kind of happened the other day when Bob Knight died. Yeah. Like, I texted, you were having an interview, but I, I texted you to make, to make yeah. sure you knew about it. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Uh -huh. So I got a bunch of texts right at the same time. It was, it's really, I, my friends will always text me when things happen. And some, yeah. you know, the thing that's annoying to me, but I don't mind it, is sometimes, like, I've broken news before. <laughs> I break the story, and then, like, 15 minutes later, somebody else sends me someone else's tweet that's crediting me breaking the news. I'm going to send going, you the Pac-12 tweet that says the yeah. conference championship is sold yeah. out. Hey, have you seen this? And I'll be like, and then I have to copy what I wrote like 10 minutes before that person and send it back to the person going, yeah, I saw it. How do you think they knew? You know? like, But I don't mind it because it saves me a so lot of times. big timing of you. And it saves me a lot of times. It saves me like people... There, and you know who you are yeah. out there listening. There's probably 10 or 12 people who will routinely say, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And 90% of the time, I have seen it. But, you know, the bat story got sent to me this morning. Oh. You know, from see? a listener in Arizona. Send me the bat story. All right. And so. Channeling that listener. Yeah. Thank you, listener. So I, there's not, you, you, you don't get a lot by me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I like saying it like that. You have your eye trained on the sports horizon. But sometimes I'll go do something for like 15 minutes right before the show yeah. that has nothing to do with the show. God forbid you have a life. Okay. And then I, I'm a little bit adrift <laughs> and I'm just going like, did, you know, did uh, Bo Nix declare for the draft? Like, did, you know, what did I miss? Did is the Blazers a, make a trade? Is that exhausting? Because it's like, now, it, I don't think it was this way always. Like, it wasn't. You weren't always tied to your phone. Twitter did it. And, you know, the, the this notion that, like, stuff is happening minute by minute, and if you're not paying attention for, like, 15 minutes, you might miss something big and be behind. In 2004, I covered the Athens Olympics. It was the last time that... I wrote really for the paper version of the paper. Yeah. It was interesting. Mm -hmm. Peter Badia, who was the executive editor at the Oregonian, and arguably, I think he and Sandy Rowe, just fantastic, were like one, two. They were just phenomenal editors. Like, mm -hmm. no one could be close to them. Like, yeah. everyone else after pales in comparison to what the leadership of those two editors. And Peter Badia said to me, do you want to write for the online, like write your columns for online during the Olympics? Mm -hmm. There's a time difference, and I was it was it blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute, so I don't think about it being in the print edition, like I'm just blogging, mm -hmm. you know? And he said, you know, you write for Oregon Live, we'll worry about pulling it off Oregon Live and then putting it in the paper mm -hmm. the next day. Yeah. So basically, I'm writing in real time for the first time ever. So it wasn't a thought of, hey, I have until 11 p.m. tonight to file. Right. Because that was the old thinking. And then the news came out in the morning. People woke up. They read the paper. It was in the paper. 
So and had the Oregonian done? No, that I was yet? the first person ever to do that at the Oregonian. That's a little known fact. Like 2004 Athens Olympics, I was the first person who just wrote for online. That's because everybody else was writing. We always before that we wrote for the print edition. Right. We sent it in. Mm-hmm. They took it and put it online. Okay. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. it first, it appeared in print. Then it appeared online afterwards the following morning or whatever in 2004 it, and so it all changed at that moment it all changed and then twitter has just hosed us all because <laughs> now there's such a rush and people get a lot of stuff wrong because they're yeah. rushing to be first and they don't get it right it's just insane jonathan smith is coming up he's not insane he's got a big football game coming up against stanford it is a sellout every ticket to every football game this season at oregon state has been sold now there are no open tickets, no open seats. The Beavers at home, where they are comfortable in the next two weeks, against Stanford and Washington. We'll talk to Jonathan Smith about it next. It'll be Oregon State hosting Stanford on Saturday in Corvallis. It is a sellout. It basically means every game's a sellout at, at Reeser Stadium this season. As there are no tickets available, there have not been any tickets available. I think that's uh, that's uh, a big accomplishment for a program that even four, five, six, seven years ago was having trouble selling season tickets. No problem at all now. Jonathan Smith here to talk about his game. First, let's talk about that sellout uh, streak and the Stanford game being sold out. That's pretty important. Oh, it is vitally important, you know, the excitement. Um, but let's face it, Beaver Nation makes a difference. This place gets packed and makes it hard on the opponent. Helps us, helps us win games. Have you ever gone to a game, or when's the last time you went to a game and just sat in the stands? Right. It's been a – no, that's not true. I, a couple of years ago, Utah was playing the Rose Bowl, and I was down vaccine family. I ended up going to that game. They played Ohio State, kind of yeah. lost late. Um it was kind of fun being back, you know, as a fan watching it. Still, can't get the coach out of my mind. I'm sitting there mm-hmm. analyzing plays and watching the sideline. I didn't have my phone out or anything, but <laughs> taking video of the sidelines. But I it, love uh, it. <laughs> I love that. yeah, I got to catch myself there. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. No, but it was good. When I go to a game, even like people will say, "Can you go to the game?" I can't relax either because I'm going. What would I write? What would I talk about? What time is it? I'm always, I, I can't remove myself from the job, and I, I, I wish I could. You know, maybe I could do it better with an NFL game because I wouldn't be thinking so much about it. But are you looking at formations and coverages, and you're looking at, are they have one safety, two safeties, what are they in? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I'm kind of watching it like a coach, just as you would. How many safeties? How, how is the substitution going? You know, because you don't get to see that as much as a coach. The game was way faster, too, because now every game I'm, a part of now it's you know you're on the sideline you know what half the you know half the guys out there are going to do right we call play on offense i know what it should look like so you could kind of anticipate and then you recognize the defense well when you don't have a clue on either side uh, i mean the thing was moving pretty fast good win at colorado i thought defensively especially for three quarters it was it was a show what happened in the fourth quarter did you guys let up or did they find something yeah, I think some of some of both. There's no question. Three quarters was great. Uh, I mean, it was really painful early fourth quarter. We got them in some long yardage situations. Opportunity to get right off the field, miss some tackles. I think fatigue played into that a little bit, and they got some good athletes. Give them, give them some credit. 
Um, and so as they extended the drive in the fourth quarter, we, our fatigue shows up, and then their playmaking does. And, you know, we had a good drive offensively. It took about six minutes. Ended up having to kick a field goal. Could have separated the thing even further, but we didn't. Made the field goal to make it a 14-point game, and then they get back out there and, you know, make a huge pass play down to the 10. So some of them, some of us. You know, it's it, it's interesting in watching kind of a game, the flow of a game. The game sometimes does feel long to me as I watch it. And you're telling me when you're on the sideline, does it slow down for you as well? Yeah, well, just because I can try to say I can anticipate. Like, I know if we're whatever, we're running a uh, pass play down the field, I can anticipate the pass protection coming, where the routes should be going. So it's all focused just on the 11 defensive defensive players you don't know how they're going to react if i'm just a fan watching the thing you got all 22 guys you don't know what if it's a run play pass play nate you know play action all of that so it just seems like it moves moves faster the speed of play um i don't think the game moves faster on those tv timeouts as a fan sitting there i guess there's one advantage you got to go take a leak or something you got more you got time to maybe knock that out and get back and don't miss a play yeah but i also think that it was interesting to kind of see you guys from a defensive standpoint. You, you beat up Colorado a little bit, and, you know, Shador Sanders talked about after the game how many times, you know, he, he ended up on the ground. It, and your guys, it, you got a pass rush on him. And it's, you know, there were, I remember when you first got to Oregon State, you couldn't get a pass rush. You couldn't make the quarterback yeah, that, uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, know? that was a struggle early on. Yep, year one, year two, uh, getting, getting home there, stopping the run, things growing quite a bit. And, you know, let's face it, on Colorado's side, I mean, they're going to throw the ball that many times. You're going to get the quarterback's going to get hit some. And, um, and again, I'm not down on their approach. They've been scoring a bunch of points. But that just comes with the territory. You're going to throw it that many times. You are, um, you know, you've got Hall of Fame inductions as a university, Oregon State inducting Bob DeCarolis. I know Mike Riley's back in town. We're having him on Friday's show. And, you know, the history of the school, you've been there. You were there as an athlete when, you know, DeCarolis was around and, and Mike Riley certainly was has been around you a little bit. And, you know, what do those guys mean to what you're doing now? Yeah, really special uh, just to be here and, and celebrate those guys. Bob DeCarolis, you know, when I was here as a player, you know, he's the assistant AD, right-hand man with Mitch Barnhart and then took over and really – it is true. Bob the Builder, I mean, he got so much done at the start of the stadium re- renovation and, and a good person, competitive and and all that. Obviously, Mike Riley, winning his coach or this school's ever seen. Huge impact on my life, um, let alone some of the players going in football-wise with Steven Jackson and Mike Hass, both those guys I played with. Um, and Alexis Cerna, I didn't play with him, yeah. but he's here on staff and helping us out. So it's kind of meaningful for me and others especially for me with those guys being part of my history, being here and relationships. Jonathan Smith is with us. Uh, Oregon State, Stanford on Saturday. Troy Taylor, uh, you know, he's, they've had some moments. Like, you know, I don't know what you do with the Colorado game. Like, from Stanford's perspective, you, do you watch the second half? Do you watch the first half? You know, you know, what do you get out of a game like that where they were just unstoppable in the second half but couldn't do anything in the first half? Yeah, I mean, these games, what it does show, I think they can play different styles and, and are effective. I look at that game, Colorado, they're throwing it all over the yard. I will say Troy Taylor, I've known this guy for a long time, offensively gives you a hard time. He can scheme you up, put guys in pretty good positions to make plays, throwing it or running it. Um, but it's like totally vice versa. You watch Washington State, Stanford, a lot of runs, control the clock, 
you know, they can win that way. And so this team, give, give them some credit. In year one, they have not cashed it in over there. They are playing hard. Shoot, they took UW down to the wire. They got three minutes left and the ball, and they're only down two points. So they're playing really competitive, and, and they've won three games on the road. So they got confidence playing on the road, and that's what they're going to be doing Saturday. Yeah, you say you know him, and I know a lot of, you know, you guys will do a lot of sharing as offensive coaches and through different levels, and obviously you spent some time in the Big Sky Conference. You probably, uh, you know, encountered him or have talked with him, and how much of that sharing, how collegial is it? How much do you get lower division, you know, FCS coaches coming to watch you practice or high school coaches? Yeah, we we try to have, especially in spring ball, we'd like to, to get around. I mean, it'd be awesome for us to be able to go travel, watch other people's practice and then things. But we do. We got, especially local in the state here, uh, we have coaches come through and, and check it out. I mean, back to Troy Taylor, he's a high school coach um, down at Folsom High School, and there's he's got a quarterback named Jake Browning. That's where our relationship really started, is we're recruiting a quarterback and, and got to know Troy through that. And then Troy came up to UW multiple times. We talked a ton of, like, quarterback play especially. Um, and then I've always kind of stayed in touch to an extent. So I just got a bunch of respect for his development of quarterbacks and what he what he does on offense. What do you make of them, you know, not r- running the ball with their backs last week? I think 96% of their rushing yards came from the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, they got some wrinkles in there that they're going to try to do that. He, he sticks with what's successful. I mean, some of it, you run the quarterback, you're adding a number in in the run game. So defensively, you can't just sit there and have a big old one post safety way back there. He's got to account for the for the quarterback. So you bring him down and then opens up opportunities to throw it down the field. That's why I'm back to each week schematically. Troy's going to try to take advantage of what he sees out there, and uh, it could look different, quite a bit different against us versus against UW versus you know Colorado. On and on. You guys, uh, you know, you got this three games to finish the regular season. You obviously want to focus on Stanford. They're all important, but. At this point of the year, health-wise, how are you guys, and how do you feel going into this game, health-wise? Uh, you know, feel solid. Uh, you know, going into game game ten, you definitely got bumps and bruises. You got a couple of guys down. We're hopeful. Um, you know, we can keep what we had against Colorado, uh, against Stanford, in regards. To, like I think Ryan Cooper, and we'll, you know, he played against Colorado, not completely healthy, but I think he's going to try to make a go of it again this week. Noble Thomas came back last week, not certain this week. Jake Levengood did not play starting center. Yeah, he's battling, but I think he's closer to doubtful. Um, outside of that, you know, no one feels awesome. It's midseason healthy right now, uh, but but we feel good with what we're going to put out there. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think as a coach or maybe even as a player, you need to draw in your experiences. Like you need to remember, and obviously there's a memory thing involved in play calling. But you cannot dwell in the past. And I have talked to a lot of coaches, and I'll ask them, "Hey, do you remember, you know, this game you had as a player?" And and th- you're so forward thinking because you're thinking about this week, whatever. But do you remember as a player being banged up like that and what that felt like, or do you kind of just like block that out and? You're you're always moving forward, and you don't really think and relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, I I don't know if I completely relate. Just playing quarterback, you only get hit like 12 times a year, right? During right. practice, you're not really getting hit. I think about these old line, D line that bang during practice, middle of the week, and then 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 go play. I can definitely remember being sore. I'll say that on Saturday, I would get more sore on Monday than uh, 
than actually the day after. Yeah. Um, but it's part of this part of this game, and we got it phenomenal now. The sports science with our strength and conditioning program, the training room, the technology now. I think we practice way less than when I was playing, so trying to be smart, and we're still playing really good football. And I think about that just across college football. Like people aren't practicing the same way they were 25 years ago. Yeah, you get you have the recovery pool in there. Like you didn't have that, did you? You had like a metal tub that you could climb into. If yeah, you yeah, to. yeah. They throw an ice pack once in a while in there. It was. It's not nearly what it's like now. Who hit you the hardest when you were playing back in your playing days? Yeah, man. I'm trying. I don't remember the name. We were at. Uh, we were at the Coliseum. We're playing USC sophomore year. Play action pass. So you know you're in the center. You drop back and you play action with the running back. So I'm not even looking. And this guy just drills me. I got a bloody nose. That was the hardest hit I can remember. I was talking with your punter on the field before the game, Josh Green. It was way before warm-ups. He was just kind of out on the sideline, and and uh, he's from Australia, and really interesting, smart guy. And we just had a conversation, and he, he was asking me about my job. I was asking him about, you know, he had played community college in the same conference that I played community college football in, and we were talking about the teams in the conference now, and I really started to wonder, like, you have so many guys on the roster. I could have that conversation with, like, 80 guys. And how much time do you get to spend talking at this juncture of the season? Not in spring ball or the summer, but during the season, do you get a chance to kind of check in with guys, or is that difficult because of the pace? It's you know, it's difficult. I actually try to do it during practice. You know, I ask mm-hmm. these guys to be locked in. I'm focused on all that. But, you know, a guy's not taking a rep, and I'm walking around. I try to quick catch up on, you know, family, whatever, school, how's the yeah. body, just quick questions like that. Because it, it's tough, the schedule and the amount of guys. I mean, we've got 120-some-odd on this roster right now. Um, to really have one-on-one connection or conversation It's not easy to do. We do, you know, eat lunch quite a bit together, and so I'll bump into guys during lunch. But... Um, definitely not getting to everybody. Yeah, but I, I walked away from the conversation. I, I learned, you know, all about Australia and his path and where he had played in community college and, you know, how he ended up. Uh, you know, he was a rugby player, and I was, just, uh, I was just left going, man, like you have, you can walk guy to guy, and you get this, you get a great story. There's a great story at every locker. It, it, it is. I mean, everybody's different backgrounds and, and, like you say, stories of where they're from, how long they've been here, experiences they've gone through. That's why I think it's beautiful. The, one, the diversity, just, you know, so, such a large group coming together for a common goal. Um, Football is a great game that way. All right. You, uh, you're locked in and ready for this week. I mean, it's a big. They're all big, right? They're, I hate when people say, oh, this is a pivotal game like in the World Series. They're all big. They all count. Um, this counts this week, but you know, are you having fun? Are you excited? Are you are you locked in for Saturday yet? Yeah, I'm getting there. You know, there's always so much more prep to do. Uh, we're definitely excited. Uh, one to get back home. We haven't played. It feels like a month back here because we had the bye and then th- two straight road games. So excited about that idea, this opportunity. Um, and the, the games are big, and the bigger they are, you know, the more you win, the bigger they are, and the bigger in November. That's exactly what we wanted to play our best football in November, playing the bigger games in November, and we're sitting here with an opportunity with it. Herb Street was talking about, you know, where he'll be next week, and he sort of indicated that they may go to Corvallis with game day, and I think it would be big for them to be there for that game if it's a week for now. But obviously you have to focus on this week. But I just find it interesting. You're ranked 12th in the college football playoff rankings. 
you know, it still baffles me that Oregon State doesn't have a conference and, and, you know, is left in this position. But how validating did that feel to you on Tuesday to see you, you guys at number 12, the highest place that Oregon State's ever been in the rankings? Yeah, I mean, that's it's cool stuff. You want to kind of end, right, with the high ranking. And so hopefully in the next three, four weeks, it's still a lot to play for. But it is. It's a validation that I think we're doing things at a high level around here. It's been a long hard road, right? A lot of work, a lot of people contributed to that. Um, and so, yeah, take a little pride at, at this point, first week in November, but hopefully we're talking about the same type of things at the end of November. All right. Aiden Childs, you know I'm going to ask you Aiden Childs' question. I, I get a hard time because everyone's like, you love Aiden Childs. And I'm like, I do. I, I think he's going to be a star someday. Uh, do you think he, you know, he seems okay with his role? I've talked to his parents. They They say, hey, we're good with this. We're good with his role. How long can you keep that kid in that role? And have you have you thought at all about another ser- another series for him? I know, I know. Uh, yes, we have. Um, because of the face of it, I think we have played five games where we've done this deal where he's coming in the third series. He scored four of the five series. I Three know. of those four touchdowns. Um, he's done some really good things. I, at the same point, we do feel like. DJ is doing some really good things, effective with the ball, the balance we're trying to get. get he's creating it uh, down the field. DJ's been awesome with the football, 18 touchdowns, four picks. So it's, uh, I'd say, a good problem to have. There's no yeah. question we feel like Aiden's top, you know, in the next few years he's going to be he's going to be special the way he approaches things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Right now you're going to see him for sure, Aiden, third series of this one. Okay. Um, and then we'll go from there. I love what you did against Colorado because I think it, it put a lot of pressure in the defense because Aiden was in the game, and all of a sudden you ran DJ onto the field, and then he ran that little quarterback sweep where you block for him. And I think, gosh, the defense has got to go like, holy hell, like we don't, you know, one play to another, we don't know who's going to be at quarterback. Like it just, it was a nice change of pace because it was, it was like, you know, throwing a curveball after throwing, you know, two or three fastballs. It was yep. just great. Yep. Yeah, and they can we can create it with that uh, that little mixture of both guys because they do they can do similar things and then each one has a little bit unique uniqueness. DJ obviously on the downhill short hit short yardage runs been pretty effective, I guess. Except when you're okay. trying to go for two points. All right. Speaking of going for two points, all right. You you mentioned double. You double down in Vegas. You, you're a yard yard and a half away from it in. You know you double down right. You and I are at the blackjack table. I'm doubling down every time. That's a, that's how I felt about it. Like we got a big time old line, we got a big old quarterback that has not been stopped on really that kind of play for a yard and a half to double your money. That was logic, and yeah, I turned totally <laughs> sideways. But uh, that was logic. Let's go get this. You gotta. You can't control the snap. You can only can hope your guys can execute it. So you know, leave it at that. All right. Listen. Good luck against Stanford, uh, and we'll talk to you down the road. Awesome. Thanks, John. All right, there he is, Jonathan Smith. He's at the blackjack table. We are doubling down. Steven, what's your strategy on doubling down at a blackjack table? Yeah, you got to, if it, if it's anything except for an ace, if I have a 10 against an ace, you can't double down that, but an 11 against an ace, I'm still most likely doubling down. But, yeah, if it's anything besides that, you're doubling down every time 10 and 11s. I throw good money after bad. That's, I, I will double, <laughs> I will double down every time. Um and uh, I, I don't blame him for doing that. I don't like taking points off the board, though. And he took an extra point off the board. And it could have come back to bite them.
because it ended up being a three-point play the you know the other way because Colorado gets the two-point conversion the opposite direction. And by the way, I had never seen that in person. I've seen it on TV. I've seen it on uh, social media. I've never seen the defense score that way in person. All right, coming up, some parting thoughts and the dirty little secret in Corvallis. I really appreciate those of you who are reading me at johnconzano.com. That's where you can read me now exclusively. I loved it. I was in the uh, I was in the Denver airport last Friday night flying in, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me. I got on their little train that runs between the terminals at the Denver airport, and a guy who lives in Denver walked over to me and said, hey, I read you. I subscribe. And uh, he was a uh, huge State of Oregon Beaver and Duck fan. And uh, just really appreciate everybody who has found me there. And for those of you out there that have helped uh, others find me as well, I hear a lot of word of mouth stuff where people are saying, hey, I, uh, I told my parents about you or I told my grandpa about you, where to find you. And I appreciate everybody who has found me and continues to read me at johnconzano.com. I'm having a lot of fun there. Um, you know, obviously my goal is to give you sourced, in-depth information, commentary, and reporting that you can't get anywhere else. Today I had a piece on the game that is going to be taking place in Corvallis a week from Saturday. Not Saturday's game against Stanford, which by the way is a sellout, but the game in two weeks. The last Pac-12 game, as we know it, in Corvallis at Reeser Stadium will be taking place on November 18th, and it's Washington going to Research Stadium. And there's a lot of speculation about College Game Day, ESPN College Game Day being there. I think if Washington beats Utah and if Oregon State takes care of business against Stanford, I think we will see that. I think we will see Game Day in Corvallis, which is a little bit ironic given that, you know, you look at Game Day in Seattle for the Utah game, in Seattle for the Oregon game in Colorado to see Coach Prime, now potentially in Corvallis to see Washington and Oregon State, and a really compelling game between two teams that are in the top 12 in the CFP rankings. And then you start to think about like all the great things that have happened this college football season in the Pac-12. You, the great performances, including you know Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, one and two right now in the Heisman race as far as um, odds are concerned. And then you start to think about, you know, the fact that the Pac-12 has sixth-ranked teams. Terrific football going on. And and then you look at ESPN, ABC, Fox, all kind of fighting over the great games to see who gets which kickoff time every week. And huge ratings, not just Colorado, but huge ratings week in and week out in this conference. And then you then you realize, like, you sit back, and the great irony is, like, none of those media companies that are broadcasting the games or sending their college game day crew on the road to those cities. None of them saw the value in, you know, bidding 35 mil for the Pac-12 conference teams, 35 million per school. Like, it's just kind of silly. Like, of course the value was there. Of course the content is there and the interest is there. And it's a cry and shame that the Pac-12 conference, as we know, it is ending at the end of this season. I, I've said it every week. I uh, continue to kind of like, I, I will never get used to that. Like I've heard some people say, you know, gosh, I need to kind of move on mentally to it. I will never get used to that. I will never move on in that way. And I particularly will not move on as 
Washington is headed to Corvallis in uh, a week from Saturday to play that game. And, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering if ESPN and College Game Day will address the elephant in the stadium. Will they talk about television's role in the dismantling of the Pac-12 conference? Of course, yeah, there were other factors. Presidents and chancellors of the Pac-12 asleep at the wheel, not very focused, um, made it, did a lot of dumb things. A couple of conference commissioners, terrible leadership, lack of leadership, awful. There's obviously more than one um, assassin when it comes to the Pac-12. This is, uh, there's no question. It's not like an Oswald situation. Like, we know there were multiple assassins on the grassy knoll as it came to the Pac-12 conference. But television was one of them. And I would love to see ESPN College Game Day put on its journalistic hat. You know, if they're going to do like all the silly stuff, all the carnival barking that they normally do on that Saturday morning broadcast, that's fine. But can they spend like eight or ten minutes talking about the fact that the conference that, you know, the tradition, the rivalries, the fact that the team that they are there to see, one of the two teams, Oregon State, number 12 in the rankings, doesn't have a home next season. Will they stop for a moment and will they talk about any of that? I know the answer to that, but I guess I'm trying to shame them into doing it a little bit. I would love to see Kirk Herbstreet, Lee Corso, um, uh, Pat McAfee, whoever else they want to get on the panel. I would love to see them have a discussion about like the shame of this, television's role in it, whether or not they think television is culpable at all. Does it hold any responsibility? I mean, Herbstreet came on the show and said, of course it does. Of course, you know, Fox and ESPN were involved in that. And of course it revolves around money, ultimately, when it comes to, you know, what went wrong and why it went wrong. It's just unfortunate that it's in this situation. And I'm hopeful that the Pac-12 once, uh, you know, someday will be put back together like Humpty Dumpty. Whether maybe, maybe it's once that college football decides it's going to leave the NCAA and break off and do its own thing. Maybe it happens at that point. Maybe it happens at some other juncture. But I'm just kind of left looking at it going, this is a shame. And, you know, if HBO Real Sports were on the scene, Brian Gumble would dive deep into this thing. Like, he would dive deep into what the hell happened, what went wrong, who's to blame, and what role did television play in it? Of course TV played a role. You know, the conference commissioners were given power by the presidents and chancellors. And those conference commissioners turned around and handed all the power to the television networks. They just ceded it all. And in the end, TV did TV does. It did what was best for itself. And the brands that, you know, game day is traditionally chased after are all have homes. And, you know, here's Oregon State and Washington State kind of facing this uncertain future. And it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense. It's not even a question of is it fair or not? We all know it's not fair. We all know that, you know, it, it like epitomizes unfair because Oregon State and Washington State, in fact, didn't do anything to, to bring this upon themselves. You know, they, they woke up as land-grant universities in small markets, as land-grant universities nationally find themselves. Oregon State continues to punch, though, and it's got Stanford this weekend. It's got to beat Stanford. It has an opportunity against Washington. It'll have an opportunity against Oregon to make the ultimate statement.
but I sure would like to see that ESPN College Game Day broadcast that everybody tunes in and watches, that everybody points to as this hub of activity on Saturday morning as it pertains to the college football games. I sure would like to see them take a step back and do six minutes, eight minutes, four minutes, and address the elephant in the stadium. Their role, Fox's role, is this healthy? Is it flying in the face of the mission of higher education? Is this, where's it going? And when's it going to get there? Take a look at all that stuff. It's really, it's far more important than the carnival barking and whether Pat McAfee can beat Jonathan Smith or Kalen DeBoer or arm wrestling and all of that nonsense. All right, I want everybody to have a great night. We are back tomorrow with a great show. Dan Lanning, Oregon football coach, on tomorrow's program. He'll be with us at 420 on Friday. In the 3 o'clock hour, former Oregon State coach Mike Riley will be with us. Great week. Great guests. I appreciate that you're here. Grab a podcast and read me at johnconzano.com.